All right. Hello, everybody. Make sure that sound's working. It is. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Good day. And thank you for once again coming along on this little adventure. That is Merged Worlds, my Dungeons and Dragons story podcast campaign stream thing. <laughs> I appreciate you sharing some of your time. Uh, today uh, is the 23rd of December, 2021, so we are two days before Christmas. Really, it's a day and four hours, right, when you think about it. But uh, we are awfully close to the holidays, so I appreciate any of you who give this a listen. Uh, whether it's today, tomorrow, or ten years down the road, I appreciate you squeezing me into your schedule. It is very much appreciated. Today is episode 72, but more importantly... Episode two of what is uh, the primary, if not main, story line that is going to be uh, encompassing Merged Worlds for time to come. Um, last week's episode was the big first episode, so I will be... Hopefully you, you enjoyed that. Uh, Jim made it. Hello, Jim. This Ashley, I'm sure, is out there as well. Uh, Glitch Vision says, I'm going to be sad when you finish the last part up because I won't have anything good to listen to on a Thursday night. Well, Glitch Vision, that's where I've got good news for you. I don't ever plan on ending. And that may sound odd, but that's actually a question I've got recently. Uh, do you have an end to the story? Yes. That doesn't mean there can't be. You know? Um, that has always been the primary goal of Merged Worlds from a Dungeons & Dragons point of view is to create a world where I can have different races and characters and different D&D groups who we can all play their own stories but all still be a part of what is Merged Worlds. Um, share places, uh, people even, NPCs and characters in common. Uh, easy way to cross things over. Um, I have a live group that I play with now, which involves my wife and a couple friends. Um, and that takes place in Merged World. And it started, their storyline started in the Kingdom of Darkmoor, right? Way far away, but um, still a part of the Merged World story. Uh, I don't ever, the, of the main storyline, yes, I know where it's going to end. Well, I have multiple ways to extend the story after that, sure. Um, I have many things cooking in the back of my brain, and hopefully some of them will make something that tastes good, right? Uh, yes, that is correct. Smitty, the movie was very good. We went and saw Matrix uh, 4 today, and we enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, and yes, for those of you who are watching the video version, I have reorganized behind me a little bit. Cleaned it out. It seemed a little cluttered to me, and it was hard to see some of the stuff on the shelves. So I added a kitty tree back there. Or if the kitties are playing on it, you guys can see that. And occasionally, I can even pop up, boom, the kitty cam, <laughs> which I still need to get a little bit of lighting for and adjust a little bit. But uh, I do have a kitty cam that I can pop up on my streams from time to time. Um, down for now, that's less likely on Merged World. Mr. Midnight back there loves, that's his favorite place now. He's up there washing his face. Um, uh, Glitch says, and there's plenty of land yet to be explored. Very, cor Very correct. And that's the size of merged worlds um, is massive. And, and, I, and I've, I've often tried to give people the idea of the scope of the size of merged worlds. Um, with all of the adventuring they've done with Oromon 
and going all the way to the east to fight Draven's brother, the west to find the tower, south to get to the center of the southern sea. Um, they have explored maybe 1% of the world, if that. The world is literally massive, um, and they have not yet begun to touch on this. Uh, for those of you asking, Buffy is doing much better today. At the end of last night's stream, I had to cut it early because she started to kind of like cough and hack. And at first, I thought it was just a hairball. But then she tried to walk backwards and sideways and began to stumble and fall over. And I was afraid she couldn't breathe. I killed the stream real quick and, and got her. And then within a minute, she was fine again. But I sat with her and kind of followed her around the house for the next hour, watching to make sure that she was okay. And didn't have any problems, and she slept on the bed with me last night, so she seems to be fine today. I don't know if maybe she had a little something caught in her throat and managed to clear it out, but uh, when a little got grasshopper got in, she was all excited, chasing him all over the house, so she's got energy. She's doing okay, but thank you to those uh, who wish well for my kitty and ass. That noise. Oh, that's a kitty playing in a box. What are the odds? Um, oh, there's Buffy. Hi, baby. Buffy, we may see her in a minute. Um... So yes, uh, today's story, we continue on from where we left off last episode. Last episode was the first episode in this story arc, the next generation. It's no attention grabber, but good here. That is true. That is true. <laughs> so um, just to recap a little bit, um, Dina had gone missing. Her family had disappeared. Her home had been ransacked and even set aflame. Uh, Seraph was in quite a tizzy, but he had to wait, hopefully, to hear words, because they had no idea where they went. Then a young man arrived in the Kingdom of Serenity, right at the same time that a great event was going on. Sovereign of Santriel, the Elven Kingdom, was coming to join the Southern Kingdoms. It was a big event. All the ambassadors were there, and also arrived a young man named Mugen, Kingdom of New Gully, son of Fig, the old friend of Mercy and Artemis and uh, he had come with uh, a letter from his father, Fig, as well as a letter from Dina. Turns out she was being hunted, and the Gullies had been able to assist her and her family escape. With the letter, they learned that she was her family was taking her to Arduel for, to catch a ship. But once they got there, she didn't know where they were going. Um, Seraph and Draven had a very harsh falling out over this. A Seraph wanted to go, and Draven did not want him to due to the danger of the man in the hat and those out there who wished him harm. Um, and so Seraph, Deacon, and young Mugen uh, escaped the city and ran off, uh, Mugen agreeing to help to go find and get Dina and hopefully bring her home. Um, finding out about this, Draven was about to go after him, but Artemis literally forbid it. Decided that Seraph had chosen his path. They were warned that one day the children would want to leave, and when that day came, they had to let them go. It was from Elder Deacon way back in the story. Not way back, but a ways back. So, she met with Mercy and Dandy, who also spoke with Darsh over the mirror, the little four-way conversation that they do from time to time. It was during that conversation that Mercy got to see Dina's letter for the first time, only to realize that Dina's grandfather man that they'd met, if not rescued from Oromon, many years earlier, named Perrin. Dina's uncle was a man named Kurgan the Grey, a warrior and friend of theirs, which means Dina is the long-lost daughter of the previous Emperor of Oromon. 
So that means the people seeking her are most likely Oromon. And by their description, possibly Ormanian elites. This, of course, enraged Mercy because she thought she was finally done with Oromon. But fortunately, even from beyond the grave, the emperor still seems to affect her and her friends. Didn't change anything, though. They had to make determined, they had to make decisions. They knew what was coming next. Hello, Yuri. The other children may choose to go after, and if so, they knew they had to allow it whether they wanted it or not. So they made preparations. They spoke with King Firemoon, who said, okay, I respect my son's decision. Fine. You're going to let Seraph go. Deacon goes as well. And then they sat down with Quan, and they decided to give him some of the information because his son was going to be one of those children who goes to leave with them, and he didn't know anything. They couldn't tell him everything, but they felt he deserved to know at least a little bit of why they were allowing the other children to go so that he could make a decision about Ran on his own. And that is kind of where we left off. So, and that we're going to pick up literally within almost that exact moment that we left off. Um, I've written quite a bit of stuff for today, um, but I didn't get it all on paper like I'd hoped. Uh, so uh, some of it we may eventually get to the point where I'm just going from memory. Um, there's not a lot of reading today, per se, uh, but there is a little bit at the very beginning to get us going. Uh, so with your permission, I will wet me whistle one good time, and we'll begin today's episode. All right. Good stuff. So as I said, everyone was preparing. Now that meant they also had to have conversations with spouses. Right? Because, you know, all of these with Darsh, Mercy, Dandy, and Quan, greatly respect their spouses, they had to then go to them and explain to them why they think the children should be allowed to go without telling them any of the reasons that they know why the children should be allowed to go. And for some, that conversation may be harder than others. So, a parent, that would be terrifying to have my kids go out adventuring in such a dangerous world. Oh, understandable. Oh, yeah. And no matter how much you've trained them, right? Petal, at this point, has graduated from Apprentice. She's a young mage. Level 0 or level 1 mage. Artemis, Artis is the same, but a cleric. But she's also a princess, right? Deacon has that extra little on the back of his neck, too, right? That's an extra target. Kidnapping, right? Princess or even prince? Who wouldn't want to do that? Hold up a very wealthy and powerful nation like Fire Moon or Serenity captive by kidnapping their children. That's a whole nother facet we've never talked about. That's a prince and a princess just going out into the world, right? Um, of all of them, the one who's probably like, yeah, that's fine, is going to be Darsh, right? Um, Minotaurs are just not quite as protective. They're raised to be warriors. They're raised to go out and put themselves in dangerous situations. And if they die, then they die with honor, with a sword in their hand, and they're boot up someone's ass, right? Um, Maeve is a paladin on top of that, right? She has a calling. Um, so of all of them, Darsh is the one that is going to be the easiest letting their kid go. And who also Lyra is going to be. Because Lyra's raised the same way. Lyra's a warrior. Lyra's been in the arena. She's kicked some booty from time to time. Do not think that she cannot. She runs the business half the time more than Darsh does whenever he's off adventuring and shit. Her and Jorn keep stuff going. She really takes care of a lot of that. Um, 
And she has no problem reaching on to the rack of weapons and pulling whatever's close to hand and thunking some heads. So the fact that her daughter might go up there and have to thump some skulls, she's going to be like, all right, it's her time. It's her turn. That's, that's what we've prepared her for. We've given her everything we can. Let her go. Maeve also has the bonus that she doesn't actually have to talk to her about this. Uh, she does have to talk to someone. We're going to get to that. Um, so Dandy has to talk to Michael. Mercy has to talk to Ulrich, right? Quan's going to have to speak with his wife, Kira. A couple things. Uh, Glitch Vision says, Minotaur mindset. Bunch of giant and get knocked out, then you deserve it. Tough loves you. And that's what it is. We've given you all the tools we can to go live the life you need to live. Got to choose how you're going to live it. Right? Um, so there's that. Darsh did it. Darsh still does it. Just got home from doing it recently. So... Each of them returns to their respective homes. Granted, Mercy's already in her castle. She just has to go up and wake up Ulrich. This happened late in the evening. And there's still probably some partying going on. So they're going to have to be pulled away from some of this stuff to deal with it. Big celebration. Tomorrow's the day that everybody signs the documents and stuff. The elven uh, sovereign is going to join the southern kingdoms. They've been working on this for like 15 years. This is a big deal. But... As they return to their loved ones, spouses, to discuss these situations, the heroes are not the only ones making preparation. We're now going to jump several hours later into the evening. This is the one bit of reading I have for you today. The rogue carefully made his way through the dark tunnels that made up the sewers of Serenity. Ventolio had been this way hundreds of times, yet he was still being extremely cautious. Could not take any chance. Followed. Tonight, he was going to one of the few incredibly well-hidden chambers where he met with his lady, the Dark Rose. The leader of Serenity's Thieves' Guild, though her reach was far beyond Serenity's borders. You'll remember that last they heard, the Thieves' Guild in <coughs> excuse me, Fire Moon is now under the control of the Dark Rose. Black Rose. Um, sorry, a little cough there. Um, here we go. He came to a stop before the secret door and once again checked to see he was alone. Satisfied, he took a breath to calm himself and then went inside. Ventolia was known as a thorn of the rose, one of her top lieutenants and one of the very few people to know who she was. Even with such a rank and being high in her favor, he could not help but be nervous each time he met with her. He honestly knew, maybe more than anyone else, how dangerous. She really was. How deadly. As long as he remained loyal, useful, and successful in the tasks she gave him, he knew he would be safe and he would profit. The Rose never wasted something useful. He just had to make sure he stayed that. The chamber itself that he walked into was barely lit. A few candles sat on tables and shelves but the room was mostly filled with shadows. The Rose preferred the shadows, as she did now, sitting at the table in the center of the room. 
Removing his hat, he bowed before the rogue queen, yet saying nothing. She would speak when she is ready. He did his best to hide his alarm at the sight of the dagger sitting in the center of the table. It is done, the rose asked, her voice flowing smoothly from the shadows. Yes, my lord, Tolia replied, bowing again. He is on his way even now. And he understands what is to be done, asked the rose. I've made it quite clear the importance of this task. He is prepared to do whatever must be done. There was a moment of silence. The rose spoke again. Should he fail? Antolio paled. He knows well the price of failing. I've been planning this for far too long to now. Done well. A moment of silence. Recognizing he was excused, Ventolio bowed again and made his way out of the room. Outside, he paused a moment to calm himself. She had been pleased. This made him smile. He owed the rose everything, even his life. Making his way back through the sewers, he couldn't wait to see what he did. Yet left alone in the shadowed room, the rose sat quietly, going over everything in her mind. All the pieces were now finally falling into place. There was nothing left to do but wait. The rose had learned patience, mastered it. She'd been waiting for Harry. Is the first time we've heard Rose speak. And it was cool. <laughs> Finished the last little bit of reading. They just up and left? Asked a shocked Maeve. She sat in Artis's personal quarters, along with Petal and Ran. Maeve's brother had surprisingly been called away by Jorn, who said they'd be occupied the entire day. Now, Artis at this point has grown up a bit. She has her own chambers. So she not only has a bedroom, but she has her own little living room area adjacent to that. So she has a personal space if she wants to have friends over and such, and all sitting in her personal bedroom, right? So originally she would have had a room in the same type area. I always imagined that Mercy's had a door that went in, and then there was a living room, and then there'd be several doors that led to their bedroom, artist's bedroom, and possibility you know, maybe another child down the road. When they build this, artist hadn't even been born yet, so it was all guessing, right? But at some point, Artis has reached that point where she's old enough to have her own personal space, and especially being a cleric, having a space to be able to set up for worship, which she would have made part of that living room, very well decorated, where she probably has a small shrine in there herself that she can do prayers in the mornings and things of that nature. So very often, the friends would come and hang out in that area, and that's where they would talk. If not there, then they would meet in the garden of the keep. So the keep itself, if you'll remember... There's Serenity Lake, and then there's kind of like a land that comes up and curves kind of along the side of the lake that overlooks it. And the keep is up on that. By this point, it has grown all the way down into the city itself. And the keep, which was up there with a road leading down to it, has greatly expanded. But on the outside of the keep, facing the lake, there's space between the keep and the cliff. And part of that is there's walls there and there's paths, and there's a very nice little garden there that 
people can go out to, but is very, very difficult. If you wanted to try to get to it from the outside, you'd either have to fly in, or you'd have to climb an incredibly sheer, steep, dangerous cliff, uh, which, again, you can imagine is well-guarded by Serenity's guards. So those are the two places they like to hang out, in the gardens, which are expansive and there's lots of space, or in artists' rooms. Um, so they're hanging out. Now, Maeve's brother was supposed to hang out with them again, but had to cancel the last moment. Seeing Jorn pulled him away, said that they'll be busy the rest of the day, so they won't, unfortunately, have him with them. That what it was, of course, Maeve didn't find out, but she doesn't think much of it. He handles a lot of the business side of stuff. But in reality, Jorn was ordered to keep them away. These kids have some things that they have to deal with. Now, Artis had just finished them telling them about Seraph, Deacon, and Mugen's departure. Mercy had woken Artis early that morning to tell her about everything that had happened. Artis was surprised by how well her mother had taken the news. Mercy was known for her emotional outbursts, but she'd been quite calm as she told Artis. Hello, Turtle. Artis had even been more shocked when she was told that no one was being sent after them that Artemis had chosen to allow it, and after all the years Seraph had been kept protected in serenity, none of that made sense. Hearing it all, her friends felt the same way. So you can imagine that, right? They all know about these bad guys and such. They saw the man in the hat fight Michael and Draven at the festival when all the undead were attacking and stuff a year or two earlier, or three years earlier at this point. So they know there's stuff out there after Seraph. His whole life he's been told that. You know they're going to have to know that too, right? So the fact that finally he just up and left and they're not, they're not going to cause a stink, which, as we all know, Draven wanted to, doesn't make sense to them on the information that they have. Because you can understand Mercy's not going to tell artists everything, just going to tell her the stuff she needs to know. They're very careful not to give any information that could be deemed something that they learned from Elder Deacon because that could affect the future. They have children have to live their lives and they have to make their choices based on what they would have done had they not spoken to Deacon. Some people would ask, right? Some people would ask, well, if that's the case, shouldn't Draven have been allowed to then follow him because that's what he would have done? And there's a safe argument for that, sure. But you also have to remember, had none of the future stuff happened, there would be no man in the hat. To come back it means there'd be no threat of that nature. So all of the fear Draven has and the hunting after this dude, who he believes is after his hunting after his son to kill him, all that wouldn't have been part of the story. And that's something that the heroes would have had to talk about and calculate in the things that they're going to do and the decisions they're going to make. Already things have changed. They know that things have been, originally this place was Serenity was not supposed to be attacked by a bunch of undead. Right? A lot of things have happened that already don't, so they're trying to make things go back to the way they should be had those things not have happened. And the man that had existing is a good example of one of those things. But you want to address that because people had asked, well, wouldn't Draven have gone after him then? Maybe not. Maybe he'd have been fine with Seraph leaving at this point because Seraph, Lord knows, out of all these kids, is most capable of taking care of himself. In fact, if nothing else, the little altercation they had in. Artemis and Draven's uh, room here recently might show that he's more prepared than even they thought. 
So basically at this point, the kids are just going to go over it, right? They've got stuff going on. The signing is today. They've all got responsibilities that they'd have to be a part of. But right now, all they can do is talk about this. Like, I can't believe they left. Yeah, and but this and going on, and they went after that. And you know, we don't know. Ex- you know, they'd all they'd they'd seen Dina's letter. Remember, Deacon had already told them what was in there. She had no reason not to. They can know everything in Deacon's letter because they don't know about Perrin and all that stuff. They don't know the link between Dina and Oramon at this point. The letter wouldn't give that. Only Mercy was the one who picked up on that because she knows who Perrin and who Ergen are. So. They're talking about it and they're going through the information and they're I can't believe they left. They left. And Mugen went with them. That would make sense. Mugen was a lot one of the last people to see Dina. Maybe he can show them the way. You know, they don't know Mugen's total thing. They don't know he was coming here to stay, that Fig had basically said, Hey, teach him and stuff, right? Um, it was more of those things like he came and visited, maybe he was going home, I'm gonna show him on the way. So they don't they don't know some of that as well. Mercy and Artemis kept part of Fig's letter to themselves. Um, Because I I would like to think that they would have anyways. They don't want to get him back to Mugen that he was sent there to basically learn how the world is crappy and they have to babysit him while he's doing it, which is a little bit of that. Hello, Underfail. So, as they're sitting, talking, and chatting about it, um, it's the four of them. Of the four of them, Rand's usually the quieter of everyone. He'll still be involved in a conversation. He still gives his points of view. But he's one of those people that when he speaks, it's because he thinks he's sharing something important. He's the one to sit back and the least likely to usually react on emotion more as I have to do this. With the exception, of course, if Artis is in danger, then you know, at least he would like to think. He had one opportunity to deal with that, and he's very unhappy at how well he did. Remember that. But while this conversation's going on, one person is unusually quiet. And that's Petal. And it takes a few minutes for them all to realize that. They're talking and chatting, and it's kind of Maeve that picks up on it more than anyone else. Um, so the only thing Mercy did tell them, didn't say Ormond, but did hint that whatever was chasing Dina was something or someone powerful. Artist doesn't question it. She doesn't think to say, well, how do you know that? Her mother and her mom just happens to know stuff. You know, that she's a lot of faith and hero worship in her mom. She hopes to be like her mom. She really wouldn't question that. So that just makes her think even more, well, if it's something big, why aren't we sending help? Why aren't there knights going after him or soldiers or a draven, if nothing else? Um, Rand specifically is a little upset that none of the knights went after them. Even though they're not technically Mercy's kids or anything, Seraph specifically... Am I getting a little lag there? Hold on a minute. Uh Oh, if the stream paused, please tell me in chat, because I'm getting in a little bit of an issue. Uh, If anybody is able to hear and see what I'm saying right now, if you wouldn't mind typing something in chat, because I'm getting an error. I'm going to try to fix it. Okay. Seems to be working on my end now. If anything disappeared, tell me, and I'll talk about what I just talked about. 
For just a second. Okay, I think it was a YouTube thing. Okay, because, yeah, everything's fine on my side. Just YouTube buffered for a moment. So, sorry about that. You hear me? Okay, okay. Thank you very much, Michael and Jim. I appreciate that. Um, so, Rand is very up, concerned that didn't send any um, knights out, right? He wants to be a knight. Worships the knight. That's what he wants to be, like his father. Um, Seraph is a citizen of Serenity. He's lived his whole life here. His job is to protect citizens. You look at Deacon, while well, he's technically from Firemoon, he's also lived here most of his life, right? And whether or not they care about Mugen or not, it's hard to say. But, I mean, he's still a guest here. So it's odd to run that at least none of the knights were sent out to see if they could track them or whatever the case may be. So it's very confusing to the children. Artist does comment that she knows that there's a lot going on in Serenity right now and protection and security is high because of the Sovereign being here. But she's frustrated that not more is being done to help their friends. And it's even Maeve that comments, it almost feels like, especially when no one offered to help Dina to begin with, they kind of almost feel like there's like the kingdom or as a whole is saying, you know, Dina's not really our problem. She's someone from Firemoon's castle. And we know better than that. But that's kind of how some of the kids are feeling at this point. No one rushed out to help Dina. They don't know that Draven's sending his contents out. Hey, Mark Asato said, Oh, Mark, thank you very much for the $5 donation. I appreciate that, sir. <laughs> You're good. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Welcome. <laughs> That's awfully nice of you. And, uh, happy holidays. Merry Christmas to you. <laughs> thank you very much. Um, yeah, but no one ever was sent out after was sent out after Dina. So it's like it's kind of like saying, Ah, Dina's not our problem. Which, even though most of them have only ever met Dina the one time, they know all about her from Seraph. You can imagine that the, he doesn't. he's a quiet guy, but when he does talk, you know he's going to talk about her and his visits and her letters and how excited he's going to be. He loves her, and they are... Uh, and they're happy for him for that, right? Seraph is one of those quiet, begrudgingly people that the last one you'd expect to find someone, and here he is the first. They can be happier for him, all of them. And being younger and being raised in a very open world, you know, city where they don't think negatively of other races or groups and things like that. I mean, other than goblins and stuff. We'll talk about that later. Um, they don't think twice about him being with a human. Not so much as their parents who maybe have just a little bit more negative view of the world because of their experiences. So, while well, all that's going on, Maeve notices that Petal's being awfully quiet. And she points it out, and she's like, Petal, you're being unusually quiet. What are your thoughts? Petal just kind of sits there for a minute and then just kind of sadly says, he didn't even say goodbye. And they're like, well, yeah, I know. They didn't say goodbye to us. I mean, they're running away. And she's like, yeah, but I just kind of thought he'd, he'd at least stop by and say goodbye. And she goes on to tell them that ever since they were little, anytime Deacon left left Serenity, he always came by to say goodbye. When they were little, he, you know, he was going home to visit you know, Fire Moon, or whatever the case is, was going or, was going out with Draven and Seraph to be do some training, going to be gone for the weekend, or up in the woods, or whatever the case may be. Always made a point of coming by and always saying goodbye. In fact, sometimes, even come by and throw little pebbles at her window until it got her attention, if they're leaving early in the morning, just to say, okay, I'm leaving, bye, and she'd say goodbye, and never thought twice of it. But this is the first time since she's known him that he's left Serenity without even saying goodbye. Maeve, of course, just rolls her eyes. 
And she's like, that's because he's got a mad crush on you, Pedal. He has his whole life. You know that. Uh, parents are just more concerned about life. Very much so. They would think about that, right? The long term. Petal goes a little bit red at that. Artist chimes in as well. She goes, come on now, Petal. You are far too, sm too smart not to have noticed that he obviously has feelings. Which Maeve is like, feelings? I damn near trip over the boy's jaw every time you walk in the room. That, of course, just gets even more red. Which, and, you know, because, again, she's embarrassed about this. It's not something that's ever come up between all of them, even though they've been jokes and such. She's kind of let it go over her head. And Petals just kind of goes, I know. Just wish he'd said goodbye. And the others agree. They wish they'd had a chance to say goodbye. Maybe to tell their friends not to go. Maybe to tell them to take them with them. But they wish they could have at least said goodbye. At that point, you know, the others... Time has come and they have to move on a little bit because it's time for them to. What do we got there? <laughs> Mark, thank you again very much for the donation. I really appreciate that. Thank you very much. What an awfully nice thing to do. Ah, Christmas rolling in, right? <laughs> if you're ever listening to this on uh, iTunes or Spotify and you hear that little music or knows, that's where uh, one of our wonderful community members decided to support the channel by making a donation. So thank you very much. Uh, Mark says, man, this is some good DMing. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, it is my pride and joy, this story. Really, really am happy that I have this way to be able to share it with people. Not just write it down, which one day I figure I'll probably do. Uh, but to be able to tell it in words with the emotion and the stuff that it's always meant to have. So I'm glad that you're enjoying it. Thank you. Um, but at this point... They all split up. They all go their separate ways because they've got stuff to do, right? It's a very busy day. Um, there's the Sovereign. There's going to be celebrations. There's going to be speeches upon speeches, which for most people are boring, right? Um, and I kind of looked at it like speeches and things of that day, while you know, nowadays we look at it like, oh, God, someone's going to give a speech. This is going to be boring. Back then, maybe not so much. To them, this was entertainment, right? There's no going to the movies or jumping online. Someone's giving a big speech and maybe it's got you know energy to it and such. This is a theater type thing for them. They've got bards and choirs and things of that nature, but a good speech could be something exciting for kids, especially teenagers who are going to be leaders and such based on their uh, where they're born or they become clerics and things like that. Um, so for many of them, this is also a taste of the life they are going to be living as adults moving on, especially someone like artists who's will be very much dealing with things like inner uh, kingdom communication and trade and such. So they all have to go and deal with their different things. And sometimes most of those things keep them separate. Um, technically, Petal has nothing to do. She's of all of them the one that doesn't have much to do because she doesn't have any specific rank. Neither does Dandy. Dandy's invited to all these things. And she usually goes to support her friends. Michael will as well. But they have no rank or any specific uh, title that would lead them to make decisions in these situations. Um, and very often they're viewed as, um, what I'm looking for, advisors, right? They're advisors to the queen, uh, advisors to the high cleric. These are the two ladies that have the authority in serenity, along with the king. Um, 
But they go and attend a lot of that stuff. So Petal goes to things where her mom goes. Sometimes. Uh, but a lot of times she's not required to go. Maeve, same type situation. She doesn't have to go to a lot of those things because she's not affiliated with them. Well, she's affiliated with the temple loosely. And I want to stress that. Loosely. She's not a paladin of Serenity. She's a paladin. In fact, of anything, she's a paladin of Rowene at this point. One of the Knights of Rowene. She's been accepted into the same order that Weston is a part of. And so her loyalty is to the church in general and to this order of paladins that have offered her membership that she's accepted. Um, and the Knights of Rowene are a very tightly knit group that exists loosely. They don't all sit in one place. You know, they're not all... There, there is a building, a, a keep of rowing that none of these guys have ever been to. Future story plot, maybe? <laughs> but it is somewhere. Weston's gone back there and brought back paladins before. Um, because it's, it's, it's a big deal when a knight of rowing or paladin shows up and's like, I'm calling upon the Brotherhood to help in this situation of need. When Weston said, Serenity's being attacked by Pandora, because that's really what it was. Ormond's just minions of Pandora, which is the nemesis of the gods of truth. I'm calling upon all knights to help in this cause. The word goes out, and anyone within range who can get it, people drop their stuff and they make a beeline to them. Maeve takes on that same responsibility, right? She could be in the middle of a big, important adventure, but the Knights of Rowene call that, they're, that she's needed, she has to drop it all. That's a big responsibility to take on someone who has a lot of love, friends, and loyalty outside of that group. Um, but she has no specific place she has to be. Weston has chosen to be in Serenity. He felt called to that area, and since he's been here, man, he's been all pulled into the middle of a bunch of stuff, right? A couple different wars went with them and ended up fighting the Emperor and getting to meet his god. Serenity was all the route to do that. So this has kind of become his home, but he's not specifically tied to this church. He's tied to that order. So Maeve is along the same way. So when the church represents and goes to things, Templars go, because they are linked, sometimes the Paladins will go. And very often, if Weston's going to go, Maeve's going to go. She was a squire for a while, but now she's graduated. Uh, Ran follows his father around. He's still looking for an opportunity to talk to Seamus. Uh, he's hoping to do so in the celebration after all this is signed and done. There'll be a couple days of celebration and speeches and all that kind of stuff and parties and music. Um, and that's his opportunity where everybody's celebrating to, in a very casual way, hey, I see you're eating the leg of a, an entire horse. Damn, you're a big guy, Seamus. By the way, do you need a sidekick? Yeah, it's kind of that, of course, much more flowering. But as they go through the day, the speeches happen, and then sure enough, the time comes and the sovereign then signs the treaties. Um, that goes through without a hitch, as you would expect. There's a horrendous amount of security there. And the sovereign signs it, and Santriel officially becomes the new member of the Southern Kingdom's Alliance. Which I love that they're the Southern Kingdom's alliance because they live in the middle of the world. Because the Southern Sea, which is what they've named it, is on the border of that area, Central and all that on, is actually a giant lake 
not ocean, in the middle of the world, the center of the map. So at the time, they thought that was the bottom of the world, the most southern point that became the southern kingdoms, only to learn they're smack dab in the middle. Uh, but that name's what it is, and you know, <laughs> that's what's on all the paperwork and all of our business cards, so we're sure not going to change it now, right? <laughs> so there's that. So this goes on. There's some celebrations or stuff, and you can imagine that for specific things like the signing, people are going to be dressed in a certain way, and then when it comes to time to party or dance, or maybe there's some jousting going on or some type of show outside or whatever the case may be, um, I'm sure the elves would have something to show off, maybe archery thing or whatever, to be like, hey, we're going to 21 arrow salute or whatever, you know, something to show off their skills and such, uh, demonstrations, if you will. And a lot of people are going to want to be dressed more comfortably and casually for that type of thing. So changing clothes several times throughout the day is common in these type of situations, especially if you're someone who's going to be participating into some type of an event, getting dirty, need to change again. So it's during one of these periods that Artis is making her way back to her chambers. Right? She's on her way back and she's in a hurry. And you can imagine that she's, she's got to get back. She's dressing out of her fancy stuff. She's going to be going attending. She's going to hopefully be meeting with her friends later that afternoon again. Um, she's probably still going to be eating, have to change again before she eats. So she's on her way back to get dressed nicely, get back to thing. But at the same time, her mind is flooded with all of the things that have happened over the last few days. Um, and she just can't, you know, kind of let that all go. And our friends would be the same way. Whatever they're working on or dealing on right now, the back of their minds, they can't help but think of my, my technically I'm saying three friends, even though they barely know Mugen. But they're say, my three friends are out there all alone chasing after whatever, who's chasing after another one of our friends. Are they safe right now? Where are they all? I mean, it's only been a day, but it's still going to be weighing heavy on their mind. It's about that time that as Artis is making her way down one of the many hallways, as she comes around a corner, she runs smack right into somebody. Um, Artis, like her mother, is on the short side. Um, and while she may be a cleric, she's a cleric with some combat training. She is not a thin little thing. She got muscle on her. And she had a little bit of steam. So... When she comes around the corner, the person she runs into literally trips and falls backwards and lands on the ground. Now, whoever it was was a bit taller than her. Artis immediately begins to apologize as the young man rises to his feet. He's dressed nobly. The first thing she knows. He's wearing clothes that someone noble would be wearing. The kingdom right now, the keep is just full of them, right? Ambassadors, People with the ambassador, what could be the servants, whatever the case. There's hundreds of people running around the keep right now. She does not know. And this young man is one of them. Does not recognize him, really. He has like a reddish blonde hair. Something like a strawberry blonde type kind of hair. No facial hair at the time. Um, but he does have... Uh, he's attractive. He's an attractive, not like a heartthrob, not Brad Pitt, but he's an attractive young man. And he seems to be the same age, maybe a year older than her. Of course, immediately Artemis begins, or Artis begins to apologize. I am so sorry. I'm beginning to help him up. Oh. What was that? Oh my goodness. <laughs> Mark, oh my goodness. <laughs> Thank you very much, sir. 
Oh, wow. I really bad number one fan. Well, today you are. Thank you so much, Mark. That's awfully nice. Uh, Mark has once again donated. Thank you very much. I appreciate your support. Appreciate that you like this story enough to do that. <laughs> that says a lot for the story, so thank you. Uh, she begins apologizing, right? She goes, I'm so, so sorry and such. Uh, good pop on out. Hey, no problem, Mark. Thank you for hanging with us, bud. I hope you have a great night. I hope you have a wonderful holiday, sir. You and your family. Thank you so much for coming. <laughs> um, but you, oh my god, let me help you up. And he's like, it's fine, it's fine. He gets up and he's got a smile. He kind of chuckles, and you know, he says it's okay. Dusts himself off. Now Artemis is looking. Artemis, Artemis. He's saying, Artemis. I'm be stumbling over that a lot for the next little while. I apologize. I mean, artist. Uh, <laughs> artist is kind of staring at him funny. He's like, oh, it's okay. It's no problem. And when he speaks, he actually has a bit of a, a noble way of speaking. He sounds noble. Which, again, which means normally in this type of a situation, he's someone with an education. Right? Common man have the, you know, the regular people out on the street normally don't have the standard education other than learning the trade they're in or from their parents and such. Schooling is normally very often for the wealthier, but all the Serendi is much better about that than most other kingdoms. But it's clear he has some upbringing training. Doesn't necessarily mean he's noble. He could be a servant in a noble's house, but he's definitely someone with some education and bearing. And she's kind of looking at him funny because he seems a little bit familiar to her. So for the life of her, she can't remember where. She sees he sees that she's staring and he smiles and he looks at her and goes, You don't remember me, do you? And she's like, no, I, I, she gets a little red. I, I apologize. I do not. I'm so sorry. Have, have we met? And he says, that's okay. It's been a very, very long time. I used to live here in the castle a long time ago. When we were just children, we used to play together. Although, again, I've not been in the castle in a very long time. Introduces himself as Quintius. As children, we used to play together. She had several. He goes, I was one of many children you played with and that lived here in the keep, you know, servants' children and knights' children and such. So, you know, and, and I left a long time ago, so I'm not surprised you don't remember me. You know, he says he's been gone for a very long time, but fortunately, these current events and such that are going on gave me my first opportunity to come back. And um, what a pleasant surprise that I got to bump into you. Artemis thinks back, and she can remember playing with children when she was little, and she remembers a playmate she spent time with. She's like, okay, yeah, yeah, I, I think, yes, I do remember that. Yeah, when, long time ago. And she's like, yeah. He goes, yes. I go, you remember. Excellent. Uh, you politely say, she, she says, oh, yes, of course, I remember. Implying she remembers more. She'd be in the play thing. Oh, yes, yes, I remember now. You know, she's a princess. She has to be like that with a lot of people, right? You remember me, right? Yes, you cleaned my shoes once 10 years ago. Of course, I remember you. It's one of those things that People of notoriety have to do when someone's excited, like, you remember me, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, um, one of those things. Um, he, smile, he, he smiles, he goes, he goes, oh, I am quite flattered that you do. She gets a little red, both because he's a nice, seems like a kind of cute guy, but more importantly, a little red because now she's like, kind of fibbed a bit. She doesn't know why she did, because the cleric of truth 
<laughs> one of those things that she tries very hard not to do. Both her and Maeve, no one's perfect, and no one's expected to be, but it is something that both she and Maeve very, very much try not to lie. They understand that there's times they may have to pretend there's someone else to protect someone or sneak into a castle or whatever the case may be. That's fine, because they're doing it for the right reasons, but to lie for personal gain or for intimidation or something like that, that's not something that they do. So she feels just a little bit bad that she white lied there. Um, Ars, of course, says, uh, I, I apologize again. I'm so sorry. But if you'll excuse me, I, I do have to go get changed and get back. The banquet starts very soon, and I have to get back there. He's like, oh, of course, of course. Yeah. I'm just, it's a pleasure seeing you again. He's like, oh, you too. And she's, he turns and kind of starts leaving. And she goes, maybe we can, you know, you're going to be here for a little. Maybe we can catch up later and get together and chat. And he's like, I would, he smells good. I would really like that. Yeah. He's like, okay, cool. All right, well, maybe later then. And takes off back to her room. Within minutes, the entire thing is kind of out of her mind because, again, thinking about her friends and dressing real quick and got to get back. So many things on her mind. She kind of sets that all aside. So the afternoon's events proceed. Uh, there's, like I said, things that are going on, plays and songs and banquets and bards. Mercy's got several bards on speed dial. She's listen, I need you. We got stuff going on. You can imagine that some would come to Serenity to live, right? Because this is a big city. Work in hotels and inns on stage, special events like this. And Lord knows if there's a place where you're going to get to write a song about something cool that happened, Serenity has a habit of making a lot of those stories, right? There's so many songs about Mercy and her knights and the queen and the king and the 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 the, the high cleric and stuff. Even, even just dandy and friends. I mean, there's so many stories of these people that they're celebrities, right? Everyone knows who Dandy is. Everyone knows who Michael is. Even though they're just hanging out in their shop all day, walking down the street, everybody's like, hey, thanks for saving our lives. And, hey, you, you saved our lives. Thank you very much. People know that these guys are responsible for saving the freaking world on several occasions. They don't brag about it, but the people who know the stories do. And that's important, right? That's how these things get around. There's no internet. Templars know what the clerics have done when they, they may not know what's going on while it's happening. They get home and they hear the tale from the Templars who go, right? Weston tells uh, Maeve was about a story sometime of things that happened to them. Other people hear it. Those things start to spread. Um, and while some of those things will eventually grow in proportion, uh, right? That classic elevator game where you start with something and it ends up very different at the end. Uh, most of their stories are so wacky and out of the realm of normal people's lives. They don't have to change. Not much has to change. It's already crazy stories. We fought a dragon. We fought the emperor. You know, all the evil vampires, whatever. You know, there's so much stuff they've been involved in that tales of them not only happen here, but in the other common cities that they deal with, Paxwell specifically and Arduel specifically, there are going to be tales of them in Santriel already. Although the tales are mostly going to be the elven princes and their friends, right? Because the heroes would be the elven, they would always put their people. And even though Tastadil, which was the oldest brother who ended up being a were lord who was a turd and got killed. The story that the, that the friends and everybody gave was he died saving the kingdom. They honored his memory and got to keep it that way. 
because why make it worse? Why try to blame it on this and that? He died saving the kingdom. So the second son, Pontius, steps up. He becomes the new crown prince, Daniel, who is the youngest son up there. What's going on with the headphone box in the background? Oh, I just use that to hold up my clock. That counts how many subscribers we have on YouTube. Um, I actually use them for work, but I use them when sometimes when we're streaming games as well. Uh, just as a quick side, I use the Logitech Pro Wireless. Love these things. Uh, no, they're not a sponsor yet, but by God, I'm open. Uh, but no, these are incredibly comfortable. Sound is awesome. Wireless. Detachable microphone if you just want to use them as headphones. Really handy and sensitive controls. You can just make very tiny. Um, I use them every day for both my regular job and for when I'm gaming and, and sometimes streaming. So uh, it's there primarily just as I wanted something that looked kind of nice. Plus, um, that was something that the community was a donation goal. So I could have headphones for special streams. Uh, it was something that the community helped me get. So uh, I kind of put that up there. Show everybody. Thank you very much for helping me get this. Midnight, as you can see, is very excited about it. Um, so same trial all these stories are going around right um, and then in Rone Arts the same type of thing Darsh and his friends right that's going to be kind of how they put mentors while they're more open and stuff they're going to be a little bit more Darsh and friends right you can imagine the Kender stories good lord who knows what those are <laughs> Love Logitech. I use Logitech uh, quite a bit for stuff. Logitech and um, uh, Elgato. I use a lot of Elgato. I have Logitech. Uh, Brio is my is my webcam. I got two log now that I have the Kitty Cam. I have two Logitech webcams up, um, but I use Elgato lighting because uh, it works so well with the Stream Deck. Not about. Um. Yeah, this is the this chair was the chair as well. This one has been the best chair I've ever had. Uh, it's made for chubby people, so it definitely supports my size. And it's incredibly comfortable considering how much time I have to spend in it. Uh, let's see. Uh, keyboard and mouse right now I'm using razors. All right, let me get back into the story. Though. People, some people don't care. All right, so... The day goes on. So these legends and stories are out there, right? Um, I mention that only because it may be pertinent down the road, but it is a fact of life. But they have bards and such here who will tell stories like this. You can imagine Mercy's in there and they've brought some bards in and everybody, and they start singing the, uh, you know, the queen and the love of her life fighting a dragon or something. And she's like, oh God, not this one. Uh, I'm not egotistical. I didn't ask him to sing this song. You know, Mercy doesn't like that type of thing, right? Like, ah, uh, I don't, uh, yeah, it's, 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 don't just sing a different one, you know. She gets embarrassed when she hears stuff like this. Art, Artemis is okay with it. You know what I mean? She just, for her, it would take up, yeah, she's an elf. These are the type of things that happen. Takes it all inside. Dandy would get a kick out of it. And Darsh, nine times out of ten, would be like, you know, indifferent. Oh, they wrote a song about me? Okay. Man, I'm not here to have songs written about me. It's nice that they did, no. But, you know, I've got to go punch somebody, if you'll excuse me. Um, but, yeah, so there's that type of thing going on in the castle. But overall, the evening goes, the rest of the day in the evening goes on as it is, you know, everything's planned. Without any hiccups, without any problems. 
Everyone is busy, so the kids never really get a chance to get back together that day. Although they probably plan to meet the next day. But throughout that afternoon and the night, there's a dark cloud that's kind of floating over the kids' head. That's because all they can think about, no matter what they, they keep finding their mom wondering, worrying about their friends. Now they've been gone a whole day. What are they into? What's going on? It's another day for Dina. Is she still out there? Is she still alive? Seraph does get to her. Is he going to be too late? All these things jumbling in their mind. What can we do to help? So, the next morning comes along. And, especially with all the stuff going on, they have a habit of meeting in the morning before all the events of the day get up. And they usually will come to the keep. They're all allowed in and out of the keep without, you know, there's no question about that. Dandy or, or Petal or Maeve show up. The guards are like, yeah, just go on. They don't think twice about it. They might as well live there. At times, Maeve has. But at this specific situation, Petal is running through the halls of the keep. And all she's saying is, stupid, 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 stupid. And she's just running, dancing, jumping around people, people trying to get her way. You can imagine people with dishes and a whole cake, trying not to drop a whole cake as she's darting in and around people's legs because she's half human, but she's still very short. And she's jutting through the hallways. Artists, Maeve and Ran, are all sitting in Artists' Center, eating some food. You can imagine that some would have been brought in from, probably eating some food, talking about the events and things that have been going on. And they can all hear Petal coming down the hall, just saying stupid, 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 stupid. And then the doors, then you can hear Petal banging on the door. And Artis is like, looks at everybody, and they hear banging again, they're like, Petal, it's, it's open, it's always open. It's like, you hear, oh, right, yeah! And then the door opens up. And Petal comes bursting into the room and looks at them and says, I'm so stupid! And they all just kind of stare at her. Then she's like, wait, really? Like, you're not going to question that? You're not going to say no? You're not going to argue? It's not important right now. Really? Like, you're not even going to try to tell me? I'm it's not important right now. He did say goodbye. Well, kind of. He left a message. I mean, to be honest, it's more like a word or two. And all together, all three of them are yell, pedal! She stops because, you know, shocks her out of it for a moment. She slipped into a kender moment, which she does. Arch goes, Petal, what are you talking about? And Petal gets a big smile. Deacon, he did leave me a message. Maeve's like, Maeve, you can imagine, much like her father, sitting there with a mouthful of probably bacon and eggs. You mean like he left you a letter? No, 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 no. Nothing like a letter. Something special. Something only I could find. Come! I have to show you! And turns and runs out of the room. The other three look at each other for just a second as they hear her feet steps disappearing in the hall and quickly jump up and begin chasing her down the hall. Within just a few moments, you can see they all come running out of the front gate, running down the path that leads through the center of the keep, to the final lower gates that would lead them out into the city towards Petal's house. From up in a window high above stands Mercy, looking down, watching them go. She sighs and nods her head and goes to make excuse 
why the kids will not be at breakfast. Excuse she's been ready to you for several days. So Mercy's like, they're taking out of you. They're supposed to come to the, one of the official breakfasts. But here they are all running out in a tizzy. The reason, I'm sure. The reason can't be good. She, she had to know something was going to come at some point. She doesn't know exactly what. None of them do. But they know, well, the kids, they decide to go. An event happens. Something is going to make them want the kids to leave. The kids, of course, go running down the street. And uh, to be honest, most people get out of the way when Maeve is running down the street. Even if she's not in all of her armor. Which she doesn't happen to be today. She's just in light armor. Uh, but she's still... Because at this point, she's close to seven, seven and a half feet tall. She's almost her father's height. Uh, she, if she, she, there's a chance she might get his height or even taller. She's definitely got her father's gene. Um, her brother's about the same physically, her twin. Um, they are not identical twins by any means, obviously. But you know what I mean. Um, they are size-wise pretty accurate. So they run up and they finally get to Petal's house. And Petal stops and goes, ha-ha, see? And they look at Petal and they look at her house and they look at Petal and they look at their house and they're like, there's the wall? You're showing us the wall of your house? Petal's like, no, not the wall. That, oh, right, I forgot. You can't see it. Hold on a moment. And then in that instant, there's a transformation. And it's a, something they've seen before. It's like, ha-ha, and just immediately she goes dead serious and then begins casting a spell. Because magic is serious business. And it's the one thing that will pull her out of her tenderness more than anything else. When it's time to cast a spell, she gets very serious. As she begins to cast that spell, her friends instinctually take several steps backwards away from her. They don't do this because they doubt her ability or they think she's a bad mage. Far from it. She's actually very skilled for someone her age. But she is a wild man. Which means no matter how perfect her spell casting is, there's always a chance that there could be unexpected effects. And you can bet that they've probably seen that happen a couple of times. So if you're unfamiliar with wild magic, I touched on this way back in the day when I first brought wild magic into the story, but wild magic is a form of magic that exists in the world. Magic exists. Using a spell, harness that magic to create an effect. Magic is technically, supposedly, supplied by the gods and such to the world, except for in dead magic zones. Why? No one knows why those exist. Are they that the gods choose not to put them there, or that if they can't? The gods haven't said but wild magic is a little bit different. It's also a magical force that fits hand in hand with magic. It flows with that, but it has an unexpected effect. It has an unexpected effect ways that it distorts magic. And very few people can tap into wild magic. It's something you pretty much have to be born into. A mage might learn a wild magic spell. There are maybe even a few of them. But a wild mage is someone who can tap into that magic naturally. 
And so while they can use that to make very complicated spells, they also can tap into it to make effects without an official spell. So for example, when they first found out Petal had wild magic, they walked into the room and there were dice floating in front of her. She didn't cast a levitation spell. Probably couldn't cast a levitation spell right now. It's too high of a level for her at this point. But she was, even as a child, able to tap into magic. She could see wild magic and use it to and, you know, control it enough to make a desired effect, which wasn't a large effect, but it was small things. As a wild mage gets stronger and more powerful, they begin to be able to tap into larger reserves of wild magic. And yes, much like dead magic zones, there are wild magic zones, which is a place where any spell cast could be distorted by wild magic. And those places also, a wild mage, spell effects could be drastically stronger. They could do much more there. But there are areas where there's less and more wild magic. Magic itself is pretty consistent. So unless you get into a dead magic or a wild magic area. Magic's pretty much the same everywhere. I cast a fireball over there, it's going to do the same thing as casting a fireball over here. But wild magic's not the same. Wild magic ebbs and flows. And no one knows how, but wild mages have learned to find a way of tracking that. So sometimes when there's something very special a wild mage may want to do, they may literally track magic lines, wild magic lines to see where they intersect because at that location, there's an increase of power, right? Because you imagine that. That's power going over the same, through the same spot. So that means that in that spot, there's twice as much magic. The theory's strong. I made that up, but a long time ago. So as such... That's how that magic works. So wild mages can be much more affected by the where they are and what they're doing and the location they're in in the world than a regular mage can. But regardless of where they are, spell can sometimes still go fun. Petal is now casting that spell. She's casting, they don't know what spell, she didn't tell them. But after a moment, they see a shimmering on the wall and what they see are three glowing symbols that none of them recognize. Ran is like, what is that? He's never seen anything like that. And he's the only one in this group that has no magical ability. Right? Even Maeve has some paladin skills and abilities in magic, which are barely magic, but it's still, the, you know, they've got some abilities, detect evil, protection from evil, healing. They've got some of that stuff. Um, Moran's, he's like, I, what is that? And Petal begins to explain that it's Deacon's Wild Sigils. It was the first spell he ever created. And a spell that only he and her know. He had found a way to harness wild magic and move it and physically make it stick in a situation. So imagine if I took wild magic I dip my pen in the air and I dip it in wild magic and I write that on the wall. The wild magic stays there. The spell enables it to stay there. The symbols themselves are something he came up with to help hide what he's saying. It's like a code that he came up with. And he and Petal had kind of worked that out. Turns out that they've been passing messages and leaving notes for each other like this for years. You know, in class, he passed a note and was like, let me see that note. Thank you for the help yesterday. Oh, okay. And in, in only a wild mage could see the sigil because they can without making it visible. 
They can make it visible for others. But without that, in, in background, says the answer is number C. You know what I mean? It's that type of thing where they can hide those where only a wild mage can see them. And Petal and Deacon are the only two wild mages in Serenity. Wild mages are incredibly rare. There are going to be mages there that are experienced with wild magic, and like I said, could cast several spells, maybe, and know that, and can help teach them to tap into their wild magic and how to control it. But they're the only actual wild mage. So someone who can't just see wild magic would not see those. And I should also step in and say thank you all for joining me today. Having a good time. Whether you're watching this today, tomorrow, or 10 years down the road, it would be awesome if you'd consider giving the video a like. It really does help out a very, very much. Thank you very much. Okay. So wild mages can see it in its natural form, although most of them are going to see the symbol and not know what the symbol means, because that's something that only Deacon and Petal know. Like I said, they've been secretly leaving it as notes and jokes and such for each other for years. So, of course, Maven R is like, well, what does it say? And Petal says, all it says is southeast wall. And they all kind of look at each other for a minute. And then they all take off. Start running for the southeast wall, Serenity's wall, that goes around and protects Serenity. The wall is not north in the forest. It's specifically south, southeast, but mostly southwest, which is the side that Ormond comes from. Because, you know, they've had a lot of experience dealing with Ormond. So they immediately take off in that direction. The wall is a little ways away, and it's a large wall. So they're running up and down the wall trying to find something that only Petal can see. And it takes them a, over an hour before they finally find the message written on the wall. It's written in very short notes, very short post-its. It's just the symbols themselves mean words. So it's not like, my dearest friend of forever. You know, it's going to be, hey, guy. Blah, blah, blah. It's just going to be words, symbols that mean words. But basically, what it says is going southeast to Arduel. And imagine, this is part of the Southern Kingdoms. They deal with it all the time. They're going to have a symbol for each city that they know. Mugen showing the way. Mugen it just says the word Mugen because they've got no symbol for Mugen. So there may be a couple words mixed in here that there's no symbols for. But he's going to try to hide it as much as possible so that somebody else finds it even somehow finds a way, not going to be able to see it. Hope to catch Dina in the city. Sorry, didn't say goodbye. Seraph, afraid to get them hurt or in trouble. So Seraph didn't want to bring them along, not because he didn't value them, but he didn't want them to get hurt for what he was considering something he had to do. Deacon wasn't going to let him go whether he had anything to say in it. Deacon was going to go. And, you know, he was going to want Deacon. And he already felt bad that he had to bring Mugen into this. But he needs Mugen's help. But not only was he afraid of that, he knows how his dad is going to be. In fact, in his mind, his parents are furious and probably sent Draven after him the minute they found out about it. They have no idea. Artemis has decided to let them go. So they're literally, in their mind, on the run, chasing after Dina while trying to hide from pursuers. But Deacon's message says, Seraph was afraid to get you hurt and in trouble. I know better. We'll leave a message in Arduel. 
just in case. They're all just standing there for me. Because Petal's obviously having to read it to them. They don't understand it. Then Maeve just goes, says, just in case. And Petal, excited. He wants us to follow them. He wants us to come. Seraph didn't want us to go because he was worried about us. Respect that. But Deacon knows that we can help. Deacon understands better. Just in case. He wants us to come after them. And he's going to leave a message in our jewel in case they have to move on before we get there. We have to get there. At the same time, Rand's like, hold on now. Can't just up and leave. We can't just take off like they did. Artis agrees. Because the sovereign is still here. We all have responsibility that we have to deal with this part. That we all have responsibilities in this kingdom. And of all of them, Artis is probably the best example of that. She's a freaking princess. Right? She's got responsibilities here. And Petal, it's like, but what if they're in trouble? And he says, I have to admit, I'm torn. I do want to help them. They're our friends. But at the same time, I can't sneak away or lie about my reasons for going. Because she, let's be honest, she's a paladin of truth. She, even more than artist, she just can't. That's not what she does. She's truthful. Overly, overly truthful to the point that it's probably going to hurt them in the future. You can damn well be bet I'm going to use that against them in the future. But you can imagine, you know what I mean? It's like truthful to a fault at this point. She's like, I just can't run away and hide and leave. I can't do that. An artist agrees. He goes, It's true. And even if our parents let them go, you think they're going to let us go too? And I'll kind of get quiet. And you can see Petal is just dejected. Because she understands what Artis is saying. Because in that moment, she has to be like, oh, God, Mom and Dad. Right? We all got to think that. With maybe the exception of Maeve, right? Because we said Darcy's a little bit different. But Ran, Artis, Petal, especially Artis. But even Petal's like, oh. Out of Artis says, listen. This is way too much for us to just decide on a whim. And she's honest. And that's, that makes sense. Because if you remember, Seraph hid in his, stayed in his room for like a full day, day and a half, no talking to anybody. Even he thought about it. Of course, they don't know how much of that time he was prepping, but you know. And he says, we have a lot to do today. All of us. Responsibilities and things that have to be done. Let's meet up later on this afternoon. We can sit down together and talk about this. We're already late by like an hour and a half for breakfast. Uh, we were already going to have to come up with a reason for that. But let's meet up later today. Take some time to think about it. And we can sit and talk this out a little bit later. Bigger thing. You can, they all agree. Rand thinks, of course, especially, yes, I think that's the best idea. We can't just run off. You know. Rand's a very by-the-book kind of guy, remember. And the rules and honor, and you got to do this thing. I mean, Maeve has the whole honor thing too, but his is a little bit different. 
So they all agree, and they all kind of turn, start beginning to uh, make their way back to the castle. Petal just takes a moment. She stops. She's looking up the note. She feels a hard poke in her side. She looks, and she sees Maeve just walking away, who just poked her in the side and said, Hey, your boyfriend didn't forget to say goodbye. Petal's like, Hey! That would be the end scene if it was like a TV show. Hey! Ribbon Petal. Because I can always picture Maeve and Petal having that messing with each other thing that Darsh and Dandy have. But a little bit even more so where Maeve would mess back. Where Darsh a little bit more like being annoyed by what uh, Dandy does. But they would kind of mess back a little bit more because they've been doing it for years, right? They grew up together. So once again, they're sucked back into the day's events and meetings, shows and songs and meals and all of that kind of stuff. And then, of course, there's a lot of things that artists specifically got pulled into that the others don't, such as now there's going to be talks of trade. I mean, obviously, that was hammered out a lot beforehand, but now there's going to be the actual conversations like, okay, we're all together now. Let's talk about some more trade stuff. What do we want to do? Is there anything above that? A lot of that would have been worked out before the treaty signed. But hammering those details out would be a lot more between, not the sovereign himself, right? It'd be his head people who work for him are going to be dealing with Mercy's people. But Mercy would probably be there herself. You know, Mercy's a hands-on kind of person. She wants her daughter to know what to deal with because she's basically signing her name on a line saying, we're going to do this. My daughter's going to when it's her turn. Artist gets pulled into a lot of those things. But part of that day, people do start to leave. Um, you can imagine that some of the kingdoms, Thorman, which isn't going to trade with them as much, because they're the fur one of the furthest away, um, as, as well as with Firemoon, they're a distance from Firemoon as well. Paxawal, Arduel, Arduel specifically, and Darshtopia are going to be the ones that deal with them the most. And Darsh has already been trading with Santriel, so this isn't going to change a whole lot for him. If anything, it's just going to give him more access and more profit. More product, I should say, not profit. Um, but there is some of that, that now Serenity gets to trade and working out how are we going to do that, since the elves, it's a lot harder for them to get around. Because they do have a realm gate, but it's, it's in their forest. But their forest is big. It's very huge, and it's not a short trip to get to it. So, some of the people start to leave, right? Celebrations wind down a little bit. Everybody's happy. The thing is done. But now it's a little bit of business. The city itself starts to calm down and go back to normal. Now it's Monday again. People go back to work, so on and so forth. It's mostly just the business side of things going on now. Now, finally, it gets to a point where Artis has about an hour or two before she has to be somewhere else. She has a responsibility to be somewhere there's things she can do or she could not do, and she decides that she's going to head back to her room to rest a bit and kind of take some time to think. Um, and so she's returning in her room, and now she's trying to weigh all these things that are going on in her mind, right? Now she's got this other stuff. What do, I, what do we do, right? What choice do we make? What choice did they make? What choice do I make? There's just so much weighing on her with everything. Now more piled on than the day before. So much so that she nearly... Knocks Quintius over again. Coming around a corner, he's just kind of standing there looking out a window. 
and bumps into him and he almost falls out the window. And she's like, oh, my goodness. I am so sorry. I apologize. And he does the whole classic laugh. We've got to stop bumping into each other like this. The awkward laugh. You know, people. <laughs> and uh, he's like, well, I you don't seem to be in as much a hurry as you were the other day. Would now be a good time to catch up? And artists apologizes and said, "No, I'm, I'm. It's really, really not. I have a lot on my mind. There's a lot going on right now. And of course, you would think he would think with all the stuff going on, right? Because he doesn't know about the intercept. I've got a lot going, a lot on my mind, and 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 real now is really probably not a good time. And he's like, "Well, that's totally understandable. I'll be around. I'll so you know, eh, time comes and you you have free time. Hit me up. You need someone to chat to." Just give me a call. You won't, won't be hard. I'll be around. And he turns and begins walking away. Artist standing there and she's like, wait, wait, stop for a moment. Yeah. He goes, actually, yes. It actually, I, it would, yes, I do have some time. I have some things I need to talk, and, and being able to kind of talk them over with someone not involved, a neutral party, if you will, um, that actually might help. And he smiles and gives a little salute. And he goes, well, I am happy to be your neutral party. And they both kind of give that laugh. And he follows her and they head back towards her quarters. Which, again, her bedroom, her living room. But he smiles and agrees and they head that. So, during that time, they get back there and they start to chat. And a good hour, almost two hours comes by. And she's telling... Not just the current section, but as much of the story as she knows. The history that she knows of the man in the hat. Seraph, what they know of Dina, the adventure, how they met Dina. You know, why, you know, Deacon's a mage, so on and so forth. And begins to kind of just fill him in on all the stuff he wouldn't know because he hasn't been living in Serenity for years, right? So she's just kind of filling him in on what's going on. Um, and he'll... And when it's all said and done, and she's like, and that's where I'm at. I mean, and now I'm I feel trapped, not sure what to do. Well, I'll admit that's quite the tale. Uh, you and your friends have been involved with a lot, man. And I've heard the tales of Serenity since I've been gone, but uh, a lot more have gone on here than realized. says, so right now, you just are trying to decide what you should Like, yes. I'm a princess. Princess of this kingdom. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be queen one day. I have a responsibility to my people. Not just lead them, but protect them and see that they're cared for. You know? Food, water. I mean, make sure that they have what they need to thrive and succeed. That's my job. And Mercy would have always viewed being a queen that way. It's not like I'm the ruler of people. I work for these people. I have a job to do. It's my job to make sure they have food, they have water, they're protected from people who would take advantage of her and hurt them. You know what I mean? That's her thing. So all the money she makes, in her mind, that's money I can now use to put into giving the people more stuff. Um, and she would raise artists the same way. Artists is going to feel that responsibility. I work for these people. Right? I've got to... I've got to responsibilities here. And she says, um, you know, not only to lead them, but defend them and so on things. 
He also says at the same time, he loves her friends. As you can imagine, if you've got close group friends, I love my friends. They mean the world to me. And I want to help them, especially considering the cause. It's such a noble cause. He's trying to save the woman he loves, someone we all consider a friend. Someone that in the back of their mind, yep, yeah, he's probably going to marry her one day and she'll probably come and live here and cool, we'll all be friends and have sandwiches and party. You know, I mean, it's one of those things. It's like, she'll be here one day. She's going to be part of this group. And they would think of it no other way. But at the same time, she's like, I don't want to disappoint her. And I don't want to endanger more friends. That's a scary world out there. They've all heard the stories that their parents have been through. That's a lot. Do I do I put my family do I put my friends into that same type of danger? We don't even know we're walking. Gunius sits back and he's thinking. It's a lot. See how you can be pulled in many different directions. It's like, I won't say that I'm a wise man, but I'd like to ask you three questions. Three questions. Three questions. I'd like to ask you. Okay. Kind of like a game. All right. Go ahead with your questions. Okay. As a cleric. Cleric of the God of Truth. What do you think that your God would thinks on it. My oath is to fight against the darkness, banish lies and fear with the shining light of truth. That would be greed. Find those who would lie in darkness and take advantage of others through deception. Bring the light of truth into the darkness and show people the way. <laughs> One of the more going out and trying to convert others' religions of all the gods. Very much so. I'm going to convert you to the truth if you... Like, okay. Question number two. As a leader, not just in the kingdom, but to your friends, what do you think they... Artists is quick to interject. Now, I do not consider myself the leader of... I don't boss people around... It's never been like that. He's like, no, of course not. But you're still the leader of the group. I think you know that. Even Maeve looks to you like that. So I have to ask, so he says, even Maeve is going to be looking to you for guidance and leadership. But you are the type of person you are. I think that you're going to find that a true leader does not choose to be a leader. A true leader becomes one as others choose to follow you. That's the case, and others have chosen to follow you. Would you lead? An artist thinks about it for a moment and says, they would want me to, would want me and us to help those that we love, regardless of it. Nods again. Third question. And this one, Likely the most important. Forgetting your title, responsibilities, fears, concerns, setting all of that aside. As a young woman, as the daughter 
of Mercy Hareton von Weston, Queen of Serenity, champion of the Southern Kingdoms, and hero who has helped save this world on multiple occasions. It's a person. What do you, artists, want to do? Artist pauses for thinks. Because this is really what it all comes down to. Setting all the excuses and the reasons and limitations. What do you want? And she gets a little bit of a smile. I want to do what my mother would do. Pick up my hammer. Get on my horse. Ride through those gates as fast as I can. And woe be to anyone beyond them who tries to bring harm to my And she says it with a very strong conviction. And he sits back and he smiles. Ah, see. Then I would say this. Whether you are a princess or a queen, eater or a cleric, whether you're a friend or not, at the end of the day, the one person you will always have to answer to is yourself. At the end of the day, how do you want yourself to be? Again, there's a moment of silence as she thinks. She says, the truth begins with... He goes, hmm? Because he heard her. He's like, hmm? And she looks at him and says, how can I ever hope to lead others to the truth if I do not face it myself? Thank you. I know what I am. And she hops up hurriedly and starts going on, like grabbing her shoes, taking her slippers off. Starts gathering, grabbing a couple of her things. And she begins immediately beginning apologizing. Now she's in a hurry. I have to go. I'm so sorry. Thank you so much. She starts grabbing some stuff. She's not packing to leave, mind But she's, you know, she's been sitting there comfortably for two hours. Maybe she took her shoes off, sitting up on the couch, grabs her whatever she wears. Pops up and says, I have to go. Well, he's, doing, he's watching her run back and forth, doing a couple things. He says, of course, it was my pleasure to speak with you. Because I hope maybe in the future, one day, we'll have a chance to talk again. Artist stops and looks at him and smiles, a little bit shyly, and says, I would really like that. And then she gives him a quick hug and she's out the door. Which you got to think is odd. The princess just ran out the door and left some dude in her living room. You got bigger things. Oh, Jim posted a few minutes ago. Good line. Oh, yes. Thank you very much. Know which one you're referencing. Out the door she runs and down the halls. Instead of towards the banquets and towards where she's supposed to run. She heads towards the garden. She's supposed to be meeting her friends in an hour. Her friends are already there. She comes rushing in and just comes rushing, surprises them because the door flies open. Imagine she throws open, bang, and they're like, oh, good Lord. She comes running down the path towards them. Paths and flowers and probably sitting areas and, you know, so on and so forth. Comes running towards her. She runs in and she stops for a second. She's been running, so she stops for a second to catch her breath. And everybody else is just kind of standing there looking at her because she's early, first of all. And she's out of breath. Clearly, she's in a hurry. She finally catches her breath and she stands up and she says, Phew. We're going after them. 
and Pedal immediately hops up, clapping, squealing in joy. Maeve nods and smiles, begins cracking her knuckles like, oh yeah, all right. <laughs> like, okay, because now it's like, all right, we're going to go take care of some business. I like that. Then Artist pauses, and you can see she goes, she's about to say something that she's not happy about. Turns and she goes, Bran, no, this all is not going to sit well with you. Training, I'm a squire. I know how you feel about the rules and everything. We will completely understand I'm going as well, he says, interrupting her. Probably the only time in his life he's ever interrupted her. Like, really? He's genuinely surprised. Because this is by the book. Ran here, right? The guy who every time he walks up takes a knee in front of her, embarrasses her in front of everybody. He says, they're my friends. You all are. And I will stand by your sides wherever the wind may take us. My honor demands nothing. And the other friends get kind of a smile because he's like, all right, so he's using his honor as a reason to go. Because you know he's going to, he's still a young person. He wants to go with his friends. So, my honor says, I have to help be there. And in his mind, he's the princess, right? Someone's got to take you. So, he wants to go as much as they do, but he makes it right. Why he gets to go. Artist gives him a big hug and says, I said, time is short. They've already got quite a head start. Going to have to hurry. They begin to start. And Maeve goes, yeah. Really feel bad for all of you. I was like, why? He goes, because you're all about to go have to go have some very tough conversation. And then they all stop and look at each other. Because again, they're reminded, right, yeah. Now, now we have to go. So they do. Each one goes in their separate direction. And Maeve returns back to the temple. Maeve has a large horse. We've talked about large horse. Always a few. She has a horse she gets to use. She makes her way back to the temple and immediately goes to see Weston. Weston is always, even as a squire, Weston's always treated her as a Never looked down on her, never talked to her. You've got to remember, from his point of view, his God gave him the job of training Maeve. One day, Still, the message words God spoke to him himself were, You still have much to teach. And then he had a vision of Maeve standing in the halls of his Lord. And he, that's what I'm here for. Everything else is for this. All right. So he did everything he could to teach her stuff that normally would take much longer in a much shorter period of time because he knew he only had so much time to get her ready. For what he doesn't know. He knows he's only got so much time. It helps that she's been training to be a cleric of the same god. So he doesn't have to teach any of that side of it. Now he has to teach her how to fight and how to use the abilities that are going to come with people. As well as the rules and the code that goes along with that. For those of you not sure what I'm talking about there, if you listen to this or watch this podcast but you don't play Dungeons and Dragons, a paladin is, for all intents and purposes, a holy knight. And as such, they must keep the highest of goodly deeds. No lying, no stealing, none of that kind of business. 
if they went against that creed, if they killed someone for no reason or killed for vengeance, their god could turn from them. They lose all of that. And it's not easy to get your god to take you back. It takes some serious work. So they have a lot of abilities, skills, more so than probably most other classes. Really sit down and look at it. Um, but they're held to the highest ideal. That's a fine line to walk. You had to teach her all that in a short period. Of time. To be honest, her being a minotaur probably made that a little bit easier. Because honor enters a raise with the whole concept of honor. This is who you are. Your honor is the family's honor. You do something dishonorable, you dishonor us all. It's a fine line you walk between honor and dishonor. Just as that line of the, the paladin's level of goodness and everybody else below. So she's got kind of a twofer there, but those lines intersect and run par I'm sorry, run parallel very, very closely. Which makes her a perfect candidate for a paladin. And surprisingly to me, why Minotaurs have been paladins more commonly. But you know, that's just me. So she goes to see Weston first. Knocks on his room. He's got pretty good digs. He's got his own little private space in his own little uh, shrine in his room. But she's always welcome. He knocks on the door. Like, come on in. Like, enter. You know, he's going to be, he's always got that very flowy, flowery speech. Most paladins do. Enter, my friend, or something like that. They always have a little bit of that. Uh, that's one thing Maeve does struggle with. Because, you know, Maeve and Darsh are just as happy, you know, hanging out in a pub or down in the bottom of the ship with the, drinking with the crew. Uh, and that's the side of Minotaurs that she brings to the Paladin. The whole fancy nobility side of it. She's got a little of that, because she is technically a noble. Um, but she's not a noble who minds getting her hands dirty. Sometimes looks forward to it. So, she comes on in, and he's just sitting at the table, smiling. Please, come in and have a seat. And she sits down, and she goes, goes, what's on your mind? And she's like, I've come to tell you that I'm leaving Serenity. We're going after Seraph and Deacon, and we're going to help them find Dina and bring her. And he's sitting there, he's like, well, of course you are. He goes, I have some of your things packed ready for you. How did you know? He's like, I've known this day was coming for a very long time. I didn't know it was today. But once I heard that Seraph and Deacon had left, and the reason why they left, I had no doubt this was the day I was prepared. And he was quite open with the fact, because he's not, again, truth, right? I was given a vision to train you. I don't know what for, but it's important. The Lord himself has sent me to you because I have to train you and get you ready. For what? He didn't tell me. Didn't even leave me a handbook. I had to figure this out, so I've got to teach you everything I think you're going to need. Boy, am I glad you're a quick student. He's like, the time has come that I've been preparing you. And where the road may take you and where it may lead, what stands on that road and at its end, I begin to tell you. I know you're going to walk that road with the light of truth. No darkness here. Wish you well. And remember, no matter where you go, 
what you may do. Knights of Rowan, the brothers, to call on us. He stands up and they shake hands and they give a big hug. And you can imagine, he's a relatively tall dude. He was like 6162. He was a very paladin, very high knight, long, flowing, blonde, sexy hair. He's, he's got that Fabio kind of look on him because, you know, historically paladins have a very high charisma. It's a requirement in second edition. They have a minimum of a 17 charisma just to be a paladin. Because uh, charisma is not all about physical. It's also about how you represent Take what you say and say. Tire um, and paladins have a lot of it. So, and that, but he's still dwarfed by her height, right? She's got a duck to come in a lot of the doors in these places, even her own room. Like she's lived her whole life as in in serenity of having to duck indoors. She's used to that. <laughs> but you know, gives her, you know, shakes her hand, and then they give a hug, and he begins to kind of talk about here's what you should do. Where are you going? Arduel, okay. The temple there. Here's some people you might want to talk to. They might be able to help you. I was there before. There was a brother so and so. If he's still there, tell him I sent you. He might be able to help you. And starts giving her thing anything he can think of, information wise that may help her on this journey. So they spend some time talking and preparing, while all at the same time not sitting in that room. They go out and start getting things and supplies. You're going to need food. Let's go to the kitchen area. Hi, we need supplies for a journey. And you got to imagine a place like this. Templars, heroes, paladins, walking in saying, hi, we need supplies for a journey. Sure, how many days? Better give us at least 15. Okay, and they go in the back and they pack that stuff. They're used to preparing for, oh, what, you're going to war? Let's go pack 100 knapback sacks, right? Backpacks full of your supply. They're used to that. And they're like, who's going? And they're like, she is. They're like, we'll pack twice as much. We'll be right back. <laughs> you know, because it's like, because you got to imagine the cooks of Serenity Keep, um, or not Serenity Keep, but just Serenity, especially at the temple, um, in the back of my mind, and, and if you're listening or watching this, no matter how far down the future it may be, please feel free to answer this question in the comments. But there's been many times I've wanted to dedicate an episode to just talking about some of the normal NPCs of merged worlds especially serenity and how they view everybody like a day in the life of npcs and to talk about that type of thing right the day of the npc so it's like it's like to talk about the cooks and then this minotaur came in it's like i need food for 15 days and they're like we have a whole room and i don't know if there's enough food in there to feed you for because you can imagine some of these if you want to consider them uh, lunch ladies, right? For example, men and women, but that kind of concept, they've been doing this for years. Darsh has been, or uh, Maeve has been eating here for years. You know they have to know what her hunger is like, right? They're like, oh, her. We're going to need pie. Give us a minute, and you know they're going to go take care of that. Michael asks, do they get the chest of holding? They do not get the chest of holding. That belongs to Artemis. Remember that. It's always been Artemis who has been in charge of the chest of holding. She's the one that carries it when they adventure, unless there's a reason differently. But the chest of holding is Artemis's property. It was given to her by Zoltan back in the day. Well, it was given to the group. She took it. She was responsible for it. 
Seraph would not have stolen that and taken it when he left. And I say that because he still loves his mom. And there's been many times where they have needed that to stay alive. And he doesn't know how long he's going to be gone. If, if What if Artemis and her friends have to go on an adventure or deal with a war or something, and he's gone? He does not want to leave his mom without the stuff she relies on to stay safe. For the same reason that Artis would not get Mercy's circlet. If offered, she would turn it down. Because Mercy has spent the last 20 years with that on her head. She takes it off when she goes to bed at night. Hard to sleep when it's always daylight. But, you know, it's one of those things where that's part of who she is. And they still have stuff to do. And I want to clarify that now. There's going to be more adventures for them while these guys are adventuring too. They're not all just sitting at home twiddling their thumbs while the kids are out doing stuff. There's a lot of things coming to a lot of people that all connects in one way or another. But no, they're not going to be taking any of those things that would be considered something they rely on. They will not be taking the chest of holding. So that, somebody asked about that previously, chest of holding and other comments. They do not because Seraph knows how important that is very often to the survival of their parents and the things that they deal with. Uh, so people have thrown some things they'd like to see that as uh, behind the dice. Chambermaid thinks, right? Um, I, it'd be very easy to do something in, um, remember Shayla, the lady who's the half-elf who now helps work and uh, in, in, uh, is the assistant of Mercy? Talking about what she goes through in a day and having to deal with, because you can imagine like she's in charge of dealing with cleanups when Mercy gets mad and kicks a plate mail set over. She's got to arrange somebody to set that plate mail set, like just little things like that. So people seem to be interested maybe as a behind the dice episode. Um, that would be a great use behind the dice of literally showing some of the, the stuff that they deal with. I, I really like using that. So thank you. Uh, and again, folks who are watching or listening later, still would love your feedback. Please feel free to throw it in there. Excellent. But no, they do not get the chest of holding. Seraph would not have taken it. None of these people have to go talk to Artemis. So unless they specifically went to Artemis and said, hey, can we have one of your more powerful magic items? Probably not going to do that. That's why they do not get the chest of holding. Said? A little bit to go. So they start packing and preparing. Um, the one bonus that these guys have over the first group Seraph Deacon and them, they're going to get to take horses. They're not sneaking over a wall. They're telling their parents we're leaving if they let them. They do. They're going to have to go. And Mercy has some of the most sought-after horses in the land. If it wasn't so inconvenient, artists would take her griffin. Oh, some of you may have forgotten that both Ulrich and, uh, or not, Ulrich and Mercy had griffins, and they were looking to try to breed more. Yes, Artis has a griffin. There's actually five griffins now that uh, belong in Serenity, to Serenity specifically. Um, and so Artis has a griffin, who she's going to hate to have to leave behind. But you're not just, you can't just travel with a griffin while the rest of your friends are on horses. They don't know where this is going to go. And griffins are not easy to feed. A griffin might eat a horse for dinner. The same. Gotta keep from eating your horse. They're not taking her griffin either. But I digress. We then step over to the next child. 
This one is Petal. Petal returns home. She can hear her father in the living room whittling or something. I, he, he's got so many different hobbies. And, uh, you know, it's not unlike him to be sitting by the fireplace as the night gets closed and be whittling. Now, most people would be whittling a fish or a rabbit. He's normally sharpening spikes to put through vampires' hearts and things like that. But he's still technically whittling. Sanding down spikes and things of that nature. Um, he's in there, and, and here's Mercy, or not Mercy, and Dandy in her room. She doesn't say anything at first. She goes into a room and starts gathering up her things. Starts putting stuff together and packing. She doesn't throw it all on. She leaves it on her bed, gathers her spell books. She's going to gather up all of her spell components the best she can. You know, the stuff she can take that's ready for travel. Just She's going to carry a lot of that stuff with her anyway, so she's going to have it in little tubes or little pouches and things. That she wears. And you can imagine that as a kender, having clothing covered in pouches is what they do. So under her robes, she's probably got way more pouches than the average mage does anyway. <clears throat> now, she uses a hoopak. Even as a mage, hoopak is still the weapon she was taught by her mother. <clears throat> So she has a hoopak. It's not magical. But it's well made. But she does uh, gather up those things that she could take with her. Can they take the gate portal to make up time? It depends. Gotta remember, there is no portal to argue well. They would have to travel portal to Paxawall, three-week trip down to, the, to that from the Valley of Sacrifice, then catch a ship, travel to argue well, and hope that's where their friends actually ended up. Because what if they catch up to Dina before they reach Arduel? What if something happens and Dina's taken and they never get to Arduel? That's something that they would have discussed. And I thought about that as well. But in the long run, I would think following their friends, is the, even if it's slow, right? If their friends are successful, Friends probably going to turn around and come back, right? Their goal is to bring Dina home and her family, right? Bring them back to Serenity, where they get way more protection than just about anywhere in the world. They probably could have got as, just about as much protection in Firemoon had he known the situation, but, you know, that's what it is what it is. Plus, for them to do that, what, they would have to be given a key. They do have two keys that open up the portal. We'll talk about that in a minute. But pack some stuff, make sure it's ready to go. Like, phew. all right, Pedal, you do this. He walks out the door. And Dandy and Michael are both sitting at the kitchen table looking at him. Mom, Dad, I need to talk. Mother, Father. Of course, dear. Come have a seat. I need to tell you something. Here, go ahead. Because they know what's coming, right? <sighs> Artist Maeve, Ran, and I have decided to go after Deacon. And, and Seraph. And the, the, uh, Mr. Mugen. 
decided we're going to go after them and help them. No? Want me to go up there? Can't leave our friends alone. Have to go out and help. Michael and Danny are holding... He knows Michael and Danny are holding... Like, we've talked about this. Father and I. And... We knew the day would come. You would choose to leave. You're half Kender, after all. And eventually, if it wasn't this, the wanderlust of our people would overtake you. So many exciting things. There's so many cool stuff in the world. I've seen many of them. I mean, there's not all of them. There's way more than I've ever seen. And every time I go out, I find new ones. In fact, the last time when I was out looking at these drow, there was this giant robot dandy. Yeah. Oh, right. On task. Sorry. Serious moment. Sorry about that. Takes her hand back from Michael and she. She see her, she goes, she gets serious. We understand that you understand how important it is to be there for your much in the way that your parents and their friends have been together, taking care of each other. We've been raised together, love each other like sisters. Expect that. Do we want you to go out into the world where there's danger? Want you to be out there where we can't be there to help you and protect you? Of course not. Comes a time in every. Your father and I have spoken. We understand that this. And this Michael looks a little bit sad than Andy does. Because Dandy's the one that told him that this was going to have to happen. He doesn't quite all know why. And then, at a serious moment, she's like, Phew. But anyways, there's a lot of fun stuff out there. Cool things. Always make sure. Remember where home is. Though. You can go anywhere you like. As far as you want to go. This is home. Always be here for Pale, of course, you tears and excited, comes over and gives her mom a big hug and then her father and such, because she expected this to be way harder than this. But again, of all of them, the exception of Maeve, Dandy would be the second most likely to go out on her own. She's half Kender. Kender have wanderlust. It's one of their things. All Kender have that desire to go out into the world. And it's not until they become age where they're ready to settle down and start having children that they start to come back home and start to build a life somewhere. It's in a regular city or a Kender city. But that earlier wanderlust, all Kender have it. And they knew she'd have it to some degree. Half Kender, after all. So they then begin talking about plans, telling what they know of RDL, people you can speak to in RDL. So here's the lay of the land. Andy already has a map of Arduel. Because remember, Kender map makers. There's a map of Arduel. And that one, Petal's a smart lady. She's a smart young girl. She's like, that's an awfully, in her mind, she's like, that's an awfully well detailed map of Arduel. I've never seen before. Mom loves showing me her. Where do they have this one now? 
Why haven't I? Like, in her mind, there's some wheels ticking. Out of all of them, she's the first one to start to get that. You seem a little prepared for this. A little more prepared than you. But again, at the same time, her counter's like, question it, mom's going to let you go. You know what I mean? It's kind of that thing there. But in the back of her mind, there's that little, huh. That's something that's going to stick with her as forward. Mom was awfully prepared for this. Sure enough, they help pack. Because friends are leaving tonight. They're not waiting till the morning. Seraph already has a head start on them. That boy's fast. Granted, Mugen and Deacon are going to slow him down. But with Deacon's magic, he can help boost his speed. And Lord knows Seraph is strong enough to carry five Mugens without there being a problem. So they're still going to have a pretty hefty head start. So And they've been awake all day. So they're going to want to get it going as quickly as they can. We now move to a home that's a little bit further away. That's the home of Ran. Remember, Ran lives just outside the city. He basically hops on a horse and takes the 15, 20-minute ride into the city every day whenever he wants to come in, because his father is technically over areas and lands and things. Uh, neither of them live within the city. You'll remember that after the undead attacked and such, and they were sending the kids to Fire Moon afterwards, um, he asked, can I bring my wife into the city for protection until we know the undead stuff's fixed? Of course, because they lived outside the city. Ryan first comes into his home. Mother already appears. She has, she's always been wanting to go to bed early. Looks like she's already asleep. Okay, I'll have to wake her up. I'm not going to wake her now. There's no sign of her father, which is his father, which he understands because his father's at the castle. All the knights are at the castle. We talked about that earlier in the last episode. All the knights are at the castle representing. It's the first time they've all been together in a long time. And he starts packing his things. Stuff, and he's packing. And then, barely, hears the footsteps at his door. Door's open. And he's like, I see you are packing your things, my says Quan. Rand continues, his father. The queen has told me, princess, friends, and you are planning to go after Seraphine. It's true. Yes, father. Still hasn't turned around. Slowly packing his things. You can imagine he's the Boy Scout of the group, right? Everything's lined up perfectly, packed neat and tidy. Like he's one of those guys who can get way more stuff in a backpack than should ever fit in a backpack. I've seen Boy Scouts and military people. I don't know. I had a friend who's in the military. I don't know how he got that much stuff in a backpack. Damn, could that dude pack stuff. <laughs> I worked with him. In a factory where we, or not factory, but where we loaded trucks with boxes, that dude could pack boxes like nobody I've ever seen. It's amazing what he could. But I digress. Ran and Quan would be that way. Only take what they need, make it as compact as possible. And you go to protect the princess. Quan 
kind of ask. Kind of statement, kind of question. Rand stops and turns. Yes. Princess is leaving. My place is by her side. Protect the royal family. Even if we didn't. My friend. Cannot let them. It's dangerous. Ran. Ready to hear. Juan just smiled. Should go. By every right. Glad to. He steps in, he puts his hands on his son's shoulders. He's like, I've worried many times that I pushed you hard. Pressed upon you much the role that you should play with the family. The fa they call them the family. They all know they mean it. You are going because you care for them. Love them and they mean that's the reason you should go. Not out of blind obedience or servitude. Because you genuinely ask for them. Honor demands that you go. <laughs> and Rand smiles and goes, That's what I told them. And Quan and him, they laugh, they chuckle for a minute. He goes, Do you have everything you need? And he's like, Yes, I've been this packed, and I've got this, and I'm going to get some food and such. His father goes, I already have that packed. I've got food and supplies and a horse ready for you. Ah. He's like, Oh, the queen did tell you I was leaving. Okay, well, all right. I want to point out that. This is around the same time that Artis is having her conversation, so the Queen would have had to tell him long earlier. Which we all know she did. He says, I have one more thing for you to take with you, though. Okay. And he walks out of the room from it, and he comes back in, and in his hand, he holds a sword inside of a scabbard. And it's never seen this sword. Scabbards expertly. And it's the same type of sword his I think we all knew that this father used katana. He's never seen this sword before, and he hands it to him. Rand takes it and slides it out, and it's a phenomenal blade. Where did you get this? One's like, I had it made. Cole had it made for me. The dwarf's work is impeccable and unequaled. Never found someone who can make weapons, armor the way that they did. I had planned on gifting this to you. The day that you were accepted as a squire, but think that it will serve you much better where you go next. Now, this sword is expertly made. Is it magical? No. Press that. Not a magical sword. Very good sword. Maeve has a pretty kick-ass sword. You'll remember a while back when I talked about Maeve that her father had searched everywhere to get her the huge two-handed sword that would be great for her. He's got a massive, what would be a two-handed sword for her, which would be like a three-people sword for anybody smaller than me. It's heavy. And to be honest, there's Ran or even artists would struggle to pick it up and even try to swing it. It's incredibly heavy. Petal has her hoop pack. But before she leaves, 
her mother gifts to her two daggers. Daggers she's held on to for a very long time. One is sterling silver. Incredibly well made. Appears to be elven. Perfectly balanced. And the other one looks like a human-made dagger. Very keen edge. It actually looks a bit plain compared to the other one. This dagger is a magical dagger. Modern flame dagger. That dandy special dagger. <laughs> but it is one of her magical daggers. One of her best daggers. It was her second best dagger. Which is a dagger plus four. Which is a very strong dagger. The other dagger is a silver dagger. That's a silver dagger. Because, while it's not magical, parents are undead killers. You know they're going to send her with some supplies for that. In fact, they have clothing and such. Some gear they have for her. When you're not wearing your robes, if you need to not wear your robes, here's a set of the gear that we use when fighting undead. Here's how to, they should be familiar with it. But here's how you strap it on. you got a set. We're going to put it in here with the rest of your clothes. Like a leather set of gear. It's not an armor per se, but it is thick leather so that it's harder for teeth and claws to bite into, you know, necks and body. Quan is being given, or no, Quan is giving Ran this incredibly well-made katana. Dwarven make, which makes it sturdy and stronger than the average sword. In D&D, for the folks who play D&D, it has extra durability, which means uh, it's harder to break on a break weapon roll. If you ever want to know the specifics of that, hit me up on a Behind uh, the Dice episode. I'll talk about how I do durability and damage uh, when it comes to magic items and breaking weapons. A lot to cover that I'm not going to cover right now. So, he gets this sword. Packs his gear. Father. Mother comes in. She wasn't really asleep. She's waiting on father to deal with this. Mother accepting. Says goodbye to his parents. Hops on his horse and starts making his way back to the city. He's going to meet back up with his friends. And then we move to Artis. Artis is basically going to have the hardest conversation of all of them. Believes. But when she goes to her mother's room, parents' room, keeps her mother, but Ulrich's there too. Sometimes I have a habit of forgetting to mention that Ulrich is an active part of this relationship. She's the queen. He's the king. He's got mojo there. But you know. Everybody knows mercy rules. <laughs> but goes to the room. Her parents are there. On the floor by the table is all of the gear she's going to need to take with. And she's shocked to see it. I want to come in and have a seat. They're sitting on like a couch or something. Sitting across from a little coffee table in the middle. Or this is where they hang out. You knew that I was going to leave. Artist asks. Mercy smiles and goes, I knew you were going to leave before I even told you they'd left. She's had, she probably has a big old flagon of mead. Because Mercy is not a wine drinker. Probably drink, take a slip of her drink. goes, I knew you were going to leave. Her, her. Says it down. But how? Smiles and goes, what I would do. And of course... In the back of her mind, you got to know artists that has to make her feel good, right? Because she wants to be like her mother. Said, this is what mom would do. Damn right it's what it would do. Darsh and Dandy had taken off. Mercy and Artemis. If Artemis had taken off, Mercy would have left, like, the first word you heard it, right? There's no way she's going to let Artemis just run off by herself. Unless he's with Draven. 
You know what I mean? It's not going to happen. It's exactly what Mercy would do. She would expect nothing less from a daughter who's like her mother. Now, they have the same type of conversation. You're okay with me leaving? No. Not even the littlest bit. Stand. One day you'll be queen of this. As I am now. I had to go locked. I was ready to. Now it's your turn to go out there and make your own way. Learn the lessons you're going to need to be able to come home and lead and protect this kingdom. I want you to go now. Stand, you have to go. And I'm paraphrasing. You can understand there's going to be a longer... Ulrich's going to be jumping in. And we, uh, we've we talked about it. We understand, you know, yeah, I'm like... Because he's going to be part of this conversation, more so than even the other one. Michael would have as well. But he's like, you know, we understand this. I remember when I first met your mother. Remember, his mom's... Her, her mom is like two years older than Ulrich. Because he was like 16 when, she, when he met her. And she was like 18, almost 19. And he didn't catch up for another year or two. When I first met your mother, I was barely a boy. And Mercy hates it when he does that. She's like, I'm not that much older. He's like, you're practically ancient. And that's just a jab kind of thing. And she'll like elbow real hard. It's always a jab. Like, yeah, you're practically ancient. But the point, ow, I'm just saying, the point is that I had to go up there and go some things before I realized I was ready to follow your mother wherever she led. I had to choose to follow her. Now you have to go up there and you have to make that same type of decision. Who will you follow? We'll follow you. Responsibilities, serenity's always going to be here. We're here to make sure of that. At least not until you come over and come home and take over. But of course, we want you to be careful. And they begin talking about certain things. And they take it a little bit further. We've already spoken with King Christopher. Who left yesterday. She had. Dead people were already leaving. He's going by way of the gate. He asks, how are you going? We want to follow them. We think it's the same thing you and I talked about a minute ago, where I was telling you guys, you're going to follow the path because of that. Okay. Christopher, if he makes it there before you, is going to try to help. He's going to do everything he can, send out his people to try to find Dina, and if he can, bring her to the castle, protect her and her family. You guys and Sarah Deacon can get there. Then he's going to help you come back home. Because that's what she's really hoping is going to happen, right? I want you guys to catch up to her before anybody from Oramon does. Doesn't say that part. I want you to catch up to them. And then Christopher gets you on one of Darsh's boats. And Darsh gets you to... Because Darsh would do that. I've already talked to Darsh. Darsh will have a ship there ready for you. Bring you to Paxiwal and in himself escort you to the Valley of Sacrifice and get you guys and Dina back home. If you get there, Dina's already gone. Arsh has a ship. Take you where you need to go. Be there. Darsh already knows about all this. Already been making arrangements. That ship was probably sailing the next day before these guys even found any of the messages, right? Darcy's like, you guys, get a crew, get over there, this is what you're going to do. Sending somebody important to do it. She's made way more preparations than the others have because she can, right? 
along with Darsh. Now, she has a, some gifts she's sending with them. And she goes and she brings out a very interesting looking backpack. It's purple. Like a darkish purple. Almost like a navy blue, but a purple. You know what I mean? It's not like flashy or weird, but it's a purplish color. Got several little pouches on, this, on the outside of it. More so than normal. Like, I've never seen that before. What is it? She goes, it's something I had made a long time ago. In preparation that this day may come. Sets it down and she opens up the backpack. She reaches in and she pulls out a spear. Artist is like, Wah? This backpack is a bag of holding. And each of the little pouches on the outside is a smaller bag of holding. You and your friends aren't going to be able to fit in this, but it's going to allow you to carry a lot more than you're normally going to be able to carry. It's already been filled with a large amount of different supplies. A couple of those small pouches, Artemis has provided us some potions of healing. There are about eight potions of healing in there, which she had available. And I've already mentioned in the past, I'm interrupting myself by saying, you remember I said in the past, they already have rings of protection, right? They would, they're royal family who are in kids who are in danger. You know, they're already, if they have extra, they're going to get those made. When they went to Fire Moon, they had those on. I talked about that then. They've got rings of protection. They've got some basic gear. Her war hammer is already probably at least a plus one hammer. Her war hammer's probably got some juice to it, right? Mercy has a mage tower she can go to, dwarves who can make things, a cleric best friend. It's not hard for her to get access to magical stuff when she needs it. She goes to the Brotherhood of Magic. She's like, I need something magical. Can you make a chest of holding? They're like, no one knows how to make it. You've got one of the only ones we've ever seen. He's like, yeah, I know. It's really nice. Do you have got anything like it? They're like, we can get you this bag. I'll take it. Can you make that? And they did. Way back when Deacon told them one day the kids were going to have to go. Elder Deacon. So they provide to her, which if you're a Dungeons and Dragons player, what's called a Hayward's Handy Haversack. Large bag of holding with several smaller bag of holdings attached to it. An actual magical item in Dungeons and Dragons. I'm not giving it that name in here, but it's what it's based on. It is slightly different, and we'll find out how in the future... But it's an item that is based on the Hayward's Handy Havers. So inside of it are a bunch of things. Food, supplies, and such is a bag of holding. No one's fitting inside of there. But it is pretty spacious. So there's plenty of supplies, clothing and stuff that she was going to need to take, extra armor, spare warhammer. They're going to be able to put stuff like that in there. And several potions of healing. They've already got that. That's extra handy. And a couple of other mystery potions. She obviously tells him what they are, but I'm not going to tell you guys yet. She gives her several other potions that she's acquired over the years that she's gone and taken out of her treasure room. She says, you've been to my treasure, to the treasure room. You've been in there. That's where they keep the special stuff. Is there anything else in there that you need or want? Is there anything else I can send you with that I've not thought of? And artist is like, no, not that I can think of. I mean, I, yeah, I've been in there. 
But, I mean, I don't remember a lot. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what. Gather your things, pack your stuff, and then meet us in that hallway. I'll have it clear. So that's what happens. Goes and gets your stuff, packs it in this snazzy purple bag. Several sets of clothing. She's got regular civvies that doesn't have the symbol of serenity on it, because they may not always want to go out advertising she's a princess. We talked about that earlier as well. She gathers up and then meets her parents in that hallway. Her mother. Father's not there at this point. He's going to meet, he's out getting horses and getting that prepared. She opens the door, and the artist is like waiting for her to go in. And he's like, coming? And she's like, no. Go down inside. If there's something you think you should take, take it. That's it. Artist finds this to be a bit odd. Right? But she's like, okay. She goes down the stairs into the magical room. The mirror that talks to Darsh is off, of course. It's dark and stuff. And there's a lot of stuff in here that's just valuable. Treasures, chests of really expensive gems, chests of platinum coins. This would be emergency wealth. So if something ever happened and the actual treasury got robbed, still got stuff to call on, some really valuable stuff. She also sees things like there's a magic crossbow that your mom got a hold of at one point. Because, in fact, she did in the adventure. Sometimes you find magical loot that the characters can't use. Someone still keeps it. There's several things. She's a magical crossbow her mom got at one point. She doesn't, she doesn't really use a crossbow, anything like that. A barrel of pickled fish do not fit in it. That is correct. They do not. Sadly, don't you worry. I have plans. <laughs> don't you worry. We will, I have plans. But, um... I was wondering if somebody was going to ask me that or not. Literally, I'm like, is I going to ask you about the fish? <laughs> but, sorry. But she goes downstairs, and she's looking around. And she starts looking, and she's like, well, I know over in this small chest are several magic rings that do stuff. They would be labeled, right? Mercy's not an idiot. stuff. And she looks at me, and she's like, should I take... I don't think I need any of those things. And that's what she's looking for. Is there something that's like, wow, you need to take this. She's looking around the room. And she's been down in here before. She's never been allowed to play in here. So she's actually beginning to look around and see things that she didn't quite know were there. Oh, wow, there's a big axe over there around this corner. Because it's not just one chamber. It's a couple small chambers that branch off each other. Right? So doorway, there's another room. Door, And it'd be, this one's money. Gems and money, valuables. Over here is weapons. Over here might be armor, right? Or miscellaneous stuff. And as she's looking around the room, something catches her eye. She's kind of looking in the back area. She's gone to a section that she's never really got to look in before. They're not allowed to play in there. There's magic stuff and sharp things. Usually, if she's in there, it's to go through the portal to Darstopia or come home. That's the only her really use of this room, other than she knows how to get in here. You know, case of emergencies, and you can get one of our keys, run and hide in here, because it's not going to be easy for anybody to get in here. It's very magically protected against anything that's less powerful than Deacon, Elder Deacon. So, she's looking around, and as she does, she realizes that, because the room's got torches in there, that are always lit. They're magical torches. Yes, you can find them in the players in the Dungeon Master Guide. Magical torches that light up are always lit in there. 
They don't burn other things. It's light. And she notices that in back corner, there's one corner that's kind of darker than the others. And she's just kind of perusing, looking around. She's kind of in a hurry, right? Her friends kind of meet with them. She's kind of looking around. I don't see this. There's magical weapons and axes and such. I just, I don't use those. I'm a hammer guy. And, you know, and here's some, looks like maybe magical or shield. I don't really, I, I don't use shields. That's, I'm a two-handed arm, you know, looking for those things, right? There's probably a huge stack of Ormanian armor, right? Or uh, weapons, the magical swords and stuff. They, they always find swords from Ormanian elites. They always have at least a plus one long swords. But she sees something in that corner, and she sees that there's something on a table. It's kind of darkened out. She doesn't see it. She's never noticed it before. She's never been back in that corner. So reaching up, she takes one of the torches down, and she goes back into the corner, and she realizes that there is a table there. And it's got a blanket or like a cloth over whatever's sitting on it. It's oddly shaped. I mentioned it doesn't burn. It's light only. She sets it down on the table next to it. And she goes and she lifts off the cloth. But she sees something she's never seen before. Something mother's never told her about. Sitting, imagine like two little hooks so it's laying on top of that elevated is a scepter. Very detailed, intricate, looks very old. The gems at the top. Why would there be a scepter down here? It doesn't look magical. It looks like it's valuable. Maybe it's a valuable scepter. But as she looks at it, she just she, she realizes her hands are open and closed. Like she just wants to pick it up. She's like, maybe I should cover this back up. She reaches out and grabs it. As she does, she feels her hand tingling just a little bit. Like she picks it up and it's, it's surprisingly light compared to its metal scepter. A weapon per se, but a scepter, like a ruler would. A holy scepter kind of thing. So, you know, that one. And she picks it up and it's surprisingly light considering it's metal and jewels. The little tingling lets her know there's something about it. And she's torn. Do I leave this here or do I take it? Mother told me to take anything I thought would be for some reason. I she opens up the, her bag, puts it down inside, closes it up again, and still tingles for a moment or so after she lets go. Often, kind of lays it across the thing where it was. Not that she's trying to hide it, but to make it look neat, if nothing else. Taking the torch, she goes and puts it back up on the wall. Makes her way up the stairs, and she goes, "Did you?" And, and she finds her mother at the top. Did you find anything? Yes, I found one thing. But I'm not really sure. Her mother goes, don't tell me. Whatever you felt you should take, I trust you. It is important, or it will be one. Not bring it back, we'll deal with it then. Whatever it is, trust you. Artist smiles and nods. Her mother then walks with her, passing the guards. Because anytime they go into this hallway, guards block it so no one else can come down here. Because they don't want anyone else to find this. And usually the guards are knights. So Seamus is at one end, right? And Flynn's at the other. 
making sure no one else comes down this hallway. Because the hallway has nothing into it. The hallway just joins two sections of the, of the keep, and it's in the back. Sometimes servants would use it, normal people wouldn't. And that is correct, Michael. That is exactly the scepter we're talking about. Love time. They make their way out to the courtyard. Your father has already arranged a horse. Sure enough, in minutes, her friends start jingling on up on their jingly horses and such as well. Several of the knights are there. They've also been told they're leaving. They don't understand why this is happening, and none of the knights are happy about this, except for Quan, who has a little bit more knowledge. They're all like, I'm not sure you this the princess by and friends by themselves. Are you sure? Marcin goes, this has been decided. This is for the best. Man, you know what? Mercy knows things we don't. That's just how it works. Mercy's instinctually, she's right about everything. So we're going to put trust in Mercy. We're not blindly following Mercy. She's proven that our trust is well-placed when we put it in her. We're going to trust her. But man, we're not happy about this. And they all say their goodbyes, especially to artists, because remember, they're all uncles to her. The only one not there is Quan, still back at home. I mean, that's a long trip to take just to have to go back home to go to bed again. The commute is killer. <laughs> so the friends say goodbye. And at this point, the, the night, it's going dark. It's almost dark at this point. Saying goodbye, they leave the keep. Both Mercy and Ulrich uh, and decide they're not going to escort them to the gates. Because that would be too obvious. For them leaving, it's still going to be obvious. No one is ever going to confuse Maeve for anybody else. Right now, she's dressed in her paladin gear. That's plate mail. Not a lot of level one characters are walking around in shiny paladin plate mail. It's gold, of all things. In color, not made of gold. That would be squishy. But why draw more attention? Saying goodbye to their children. Saying goodbye to them. The friends then proceed down the road. And the friends have this weird trepidation. Like, they're excited. We're going to go help our friends. We're also... Kind of what's our first adventure. They don't count Fire Moon. <laughs> but this is kind of, we're going out on our first us thing. Have to hurry. As soon as they get through the gates, which the guards are like, okay, the princess is going through the gate with her friends and they look like they're going camping or trapping. I don't know what's going on here, but okay. Who's going to tell the princess no, she can't leave, right? <laughs> they make their way through the gate. And then marching down the road, because there's a road they can go for a good distance, start making the way towards the southeast. Their goal is to try to travel as far as they can before stopping and getting a few hours of rest. Luckily, the horses are well-rested and they have a lot of supplies. They've got a lot of ground to catch up. And the people they're trying to catch are probably trying to stay hidden. But what lays out there, what lays out before them, will they catch up? They run into their own problems? Will they get to Dina first? Where is Sarah? And where is uh, Deacon and Mugen right now, right? How far ahead are they? We don't know. But we're going to find out. Go to head. Or children head forward towards their destiny. And what will be a very interesting. But that said... We are at the two and a half hour mark. 
and a little long this week. You know, I've been trying to keep them closer to two. I had a lot to cover. Um, next week, we will be dealing, starting with, back with Seraph and Deacon, at least for the first part. Um, for a little while, at least, uh, these two groups may be dealing with some of their own things until when and if they gather up together. I guess we'll see where that goes. But I did get to do some fun things today. Black Rose got to speak for the first time. Or was it? The Michael, uh, I'm very happy that you uh, snagged the connection to the scepter. <laughs> Which has been sitting in that room for a very long time, waiting for exactly today to pop its head back up again. And if you're wondering, yes, put the scepter in there. Exactly, it was going to get pulled today. Not calendar-wise, but you know what I mean. This is how and why, right? Um, so, tied in a few things here. Um, and maybe even snuck something in there that no one going to pick up on but will be a big mind blow in the future. Isn't it mean to do things like that? I've always been a mean person. But I would like to thank you all for coming and letting me tell my story today. I was very excited to do so. Um, the next episode of Merged Worlds will be two weeks from now, which means technically in 2022, this will be the last Merged Worlds episode of 2021. Episode 72. Uh, over 150, 160 hours worth of story. Now, I would like to say thank you to everyone who comes and watches these videos. If you're watching it today, tomorrow, 10 years down the road, it would be awesome if you would give this video a like. It means a lot and helps out a lot. If you're new to the channel, please be sure to subscribe. And if you have an iTunes or Spotify account, it would be wonderful. If you wouldn't mind going to the podcast uh, source code of your choice and give the Merged Worlds podcast a follow. Um, you can rate them on most of them. I've just received a notification that Spotify either has just or is about to open it up where you can now leave comments and reviews on um, podcasts. And doing so will help their algorithm put podcasts in front of the eyes of people who might want that kind of content. So if you have a couple minutes and you don't mind, it would help out a lot. If you wouldn't mind going and giving, uh, whichever one you use, iTunes, Spotify, if you use one, give them a follow, give them a like, all the stars, whatever. And if you have a moment, leave a review. Uh, it, it would help get the story in front of more eyes. And again, I like to stress, this isn't a profitable venture for me. I just want to share my story with him. So, thank you very much for joining me. Um, I will be over on Twitch tomorrow night, 9.30 p.m. Eastern. Uh, the day after that is Christmas. I am going to be streaming Christmas night on Twitch as well, starting probably around 9, 9.30 like normal. Um, we will not be doing our normal Saturday, seven days to die. Um, Mr. Colonel, who does that stream with us, is uh, in the hospital right now. Okay, just saying. Um, but I'll be doing a little probably special Christmasy theme things. If you want to come over, you're bored, you don't have anything else to do Christmas night, swing it over by the stream, play some silly games with us, we'll do some stuff. All right? Thank you all for watching. Love you all to bunches. I hope you have a wonderful holiday. And thank you for giving me the gift of letting me get to do this. Because it's my favorite thing that I get to do.
I appreciate you giving me that opportunity and for being such a great audience. All right? I'm going to call that a stream. You guys have a wonderful day, a wonderful holiday, and I'll see you again in 2020.